Internet. Good morning. It's Saturday morning. Chill. I'm a little sluggish, but I am here, the Mad Christian, looking to get it going on this morning, talking about everything in life and answering your questions, particularly with regard to knowing our God, knowing who the Lord Jesus Christ is. How's it going? I may just talk to you last night if you're following all the daily stuff. Uh, it's been a week since we've done it like this. been a week since this kind of talk's been on the podcast as well. Uh, but I see some of you already joining in. We got Kearney, Missouri checking in. We got Yamami out there from the Northwest checking in. Good morning, everybody. I see you there. Uh, a couple of reminders, as we always want to remember, uh, Super chat. Oh, <laughs> how about that? Let's remember that I want to be in this scene with the manual turned on so it doesn't autofocus when I say good morning so that I'm not sitting there with some random picture that you don't know what, what this is about. That's my new desktop. I kind of like the sci-fi mixed with the agrarian in that in that image uh, that was there again. Good morning again, everybody. Uh, the Oz background. Is that from Oz? I didn't know that. That's kind of cool. Um, uh, Scott says, Paul Ash raised in independence. Uh, and the kingdom just saying good morning to everybody again. I was trying to say, keep in mind this morning that what, 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 uh, my announcements are a little, a little, I'm finding my announcement page that I'm looking at right now that you can't see, but you could see a moment ago. I'm finding it a little, um, decayed. It's, it's wearing on me, but super chat and the law of super chat are still in effect. That is, if you want to super chat, that's great. I, you know, it's fully on you and I will of course, share what you write and uh, uh, try to answer your question, give you attention as well. Um, but Super Chat is made for man, not man for Super Chat. Um, it's on. Yeah, right on. Without Flesh has come out. I, you know, I forgot about it a little bit with, <laughs> with everything else that's been going on. Although at the same time, my own decision-making at my congregation and our decision-making has been driven by the purpose of that book or the substance of that book, which is to recognize that Christianity needs the Lord's Supper or it dies. <laughs> uh, and even if you, you don't really believe the Lord's Supper is what it is, this is still a fact, and maybe that fact should help you consider what the Lord's Supper really is. So so that did impact how we assessed our situation with meetings of 10 or less here in Illinois and all that kind of stuff. In any case, well, flesh is out. If you haven't picked it up, uh, the the feedback I'm getting is very, very good. People are telling me it is the best book I've written, which I find very high praise because I still kind of consider Echo the most enduring thing I've done. Um, I hope, I really hope it is. Uh, but, but in any case, it's high praise. So check out Without Flesh if you have not yet. Uh, the podcast, Patreon, Shakespeare's, Shakespeare's Doozies, that's all happened. Did you notice? Uh, the Wolf Mueller podcast this, this, uh, this afternoon, uh, yesterday, two days ago? Two days ago, the Wolf Mueller podcast was a bonus and not an episode. And this will be an episode. That's all that's really happening. It doesn't mean much more than that. And if you're on Patreon, that's great. I need you. I need you now more than ever, actually. Uh, but uh, if you're not, that's fine, too. Happy to have your support either way. Uh, newsletter. Also good feedback from the newsletter. There was, what was it, last night or the other night? I was talking about the newsletter a little bit. And someone, one of you, was so kind as to say, it's the best part about Monday. <laughs> Which is like, given the fact that we're only on like episode 12, really, of the newsletter, and that this is this ragtag team of uh, a strange sojourners in the Galactic War stringing ourselves together via the power of the internet, all volunteer capacity, to provide you with a weekly dose of what? everything in the world, all from a Lutheran vantage point. Well, it was unexpected to see this even happen. And, and those of us on the inside, Frisbee, the hand, Shadowbroker, and I, are, and, and others who are helping, but they're kind of like doing the, the layout 
hardcore. Um, we're like, wow, look at this is like this thing. And and like, Fisk, you aren't even doing all of it. Is that right or wrong? Will people think it's right or wrong? I said, this is my vision. You're Drew, we're a team. We're working. This is great. So that's the newsletter, Mad Mondays. It's it's exciting. Um, you should definitely get on board with that. And of course, redfist.com, everything can get on replay there. Good morning, Grant. Thank you for the super chat. Say noise. I don't know how to pronounce that. Did I do it right? I am from Cali, and they did say noise in the 90s in Cali, so I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the correct pronunciation uh, for that one there. All right, now, let me see. I'm going to dance over here again, and I'm going to think about now intentionally going to scene two. Nope, it didn't work because, see, this is why this doesn't work. Evernote, for pity's sakes, has certain hotkeys that are built into Evernote. And Ecamm, my streaming software, has certain hotkeys that are built into it. And wouldn't you believe that the one that allows you to hotkey changing scenes in the Ecamm software also changes notebooks in Evernote. And so you just don't actually get to do the hotkey. We're going to try it again with a mouse here and see if by doing this, uh, we can end up with some Evernote for you. Oh, look, you can see all of my special secrets there. I'm going to move that that way. Oh, and now you're, I'm really failing you this morning. Little Brian Wolfmuller there. Here we go. From last week's chat corner, some of your highlights this morning. Uh, on, on the topic of productivity, you said too many ideas, too many works in progress. Sounds like a pretty typical writer. Yeah, I think it's a pretty typical human, <laughs> uh, entrepreneur, industrious person, curious person, right? But definitely writer, uh, all sorts of others. I'm sure the artist who has to take, who has to, who, who does phot photographs, um, has more things they want to do uh, than they can possibly really get done. So it's not just writers, but... Um, I guess one of the things is this via negativa idea, right? The one of you pointed out as well. Uh, the strength is to know the difference between a dream and a vision or a dream and a goal. Let's say it that way. The difference between a dream and a goal. A dream is something that would be nice and you think it'd be really cool. A goal is something you're going to actually try to achieve. And if you treat all your dreams like they're goals, you're going to feel really guilty all the time. <laughs> You're going to have so much weight because everything you thought that would be nice, you now believe you have to do. <laughs> and your your subconscious and psyche is always just itching at you, right? This is the value of the getting things done framework, if you're familiar with that series. is by getting things out in front of you on a piece of paper, you can say, do I really want to commit to doing this for the rest of my life? Is this actually a goal or is it just a dream? And then you can, via negativa, you can throw away some of the dreams or at least put them in a pile of dreams and not consider that your goals for the week. That kind of thing. And uh, again, back to your content, uh, Inbox Zero is made for man, not man for Inbox Zero, very creative. That almost deserves an Illuminati uh, placement in an upcoming edition of the newsletter. By the way, if you haven't figured that out, in the newsletter, the Illuminati only need apply is where we're going to put what we think is the most creative or insightful thing that any of you have said, particularly in the contact page send-ins. Although, Frisbee, if you're watching this, I mean, you could grab this. This is great. Inbox Zero is not me. That's, that's fantastic newsletter content. So, um, only Illuminati need apply. I mean, obviously, if you are not one of the true inside class, don't even bother talking, right? But if you are... When you talk, just know we're watching you, and we might just put you into the magazine, uh, the magazine, the easing, the newsletter. What do we even call it? What a world we live in. I don't even know what to call this stuff. Mad Mondays, you might show up as an Illuminati, and that was that was high quality right there because the, the genius of, of mixing the spirituality of Christianity, the wisdom of Jesus, which is actually not about what you're talking about, but about his resurrection, Sabbath, rest, all that kind of stuff, Hebrews 4, you know what I'm saying? You take all of that, and you mix it in a beautiful little kind of Lutherans only need apply pun, but you got to be like a, a GTD getting things done person. It's just gorgeous. It's just gorgeous. It's so nuanced and so tremendously, uh, um, uh, what corner niche, 
Uh, <laughs> I love it. It's great. Thank you for that. Thoughts on? What are my thoughts on Lars? I think we talked about that one, right? So I'm going to leave that one there. I did mention that. Am I excited for Half-Life Alex? Dear Heavens Alive, Culture Gaming Music. Half-Life Alex. I talked about this in a midweek, uh, in one of the dailies, I think, and I barely touched on it, uh, but I did have a chance yesterday as I was just taking, I, I took 30 minutes for myself on my day off, and I looked at <laughs> IGN and Steam and upcoming games, and I realized Half-Life Life, Life Alex had just come out. I thought this was like a year or two away. Holy moly, does this thing look amazing? It's got a 10 from IGN. I don't know. I mean, they don't give out a lot of 10s, and they showed all of their 10s yesterday. There's only like 12 or 15 of them in all of the gaming reviews they've ever done and they're all really good games so so i'm like yeah this game looks amazing what does it take to play this game it just came out oh i need to buy a thousand dollar vr headset i guess i'm not gonna play <laughs> you know it's just not in the cards jonathan not in the cards, but it looks incredible of course i'm excited about what they're doing with it if only well and this is kind of the thing if if um, if Valve, who makes both Steam and then this game and has the Half-Life franchise, who usually uses the Half-Life franchise when they want to break technological boundaries, not so much uh, in gaming for themselves, but in gaming in general, they're a very unique company, uh, they will they will use Half-Life to try to do something new. And Half-Life 2, ages old in terms of video games going, how video games go, um, still is in the the psyche and the conscience of many, many gamers because of how good it was. And so the fact that they're doing this intentionally with VR says they believe in the future of VR. And the hope is that see VR right now, virtual reality, you know, gaming with a headset on and like, Whoa, what was that over there? That kind of thing. Uh, you know, motion controllers in the hands, like way beyond we, we was just a, a dream, right? So you, you, VR though, to do it that well right now, that's what this game is doing. And it's a thousand dollars to play it. Okay, but the idea is that if they can break the mold and get the rest of gaming to believe this, then the price of all this stuff will drop, and it'll come down into consumer area where is you know when you want to buy your VR uh, setup, it's three hundred bucks like your Xbox would be, right, or four hundred bucks as opposed to a thousand on top of your gaming PC. The VR headset, you can have a gaming PC that's a couple thousand bucks, and then that, right? So. In any case, am I excited? Yes, because I think it could do great things for the industry. And if you don't like gaming, you got to know that much of what we're doing in computing in general today runs on the back of game engines because the people who do like gaming spend money on it and it's a massive industry it makes more money gaming makes more money every year than hollywood does there's more going on in that industry and then it's also going over into you like your phone right you like your your, your smartphone all that kind of stuff all that tech lives on the heritage of things like nintendo's entertainment system from the 80s and atari and all that so so these things matter across the boundaries but if you care about the gaming itself Remember this too. I know some of you that are that are, are, are regular viewers are like, why is he talking about gaming again? It's about story. I like games because of story. There's some there's some fun in like the the, the flicky flicky, right? And then the uh, the motion control, problem solving, strategy, all that's important. But what makes a game to me when it, when a game matters and I want to talk about it again beyond like with gamers is when it's become more than a game. It's become a movie book. You're in the middle of it. It doesn't automatically finish itself for you, but it eventually does story. And that when that story is epic, I talked about this on the podcast with Wolfmuller this week. Uh, and he was like, I don't even know, right? Because he's never played it. But Mass Effect, anybody who's played all three Mass Effects, it's like, that's like watching The Lord of the Rings uh, or or more, right? Because it, 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 it was better, <laughs> honestly. So, so 
remember, it's about story. Those of us who are really into this, I think it is. So have I not heard of Theocracy's music? I should check it out. We shared that already last week, I think as well, somewhere in the midweek. And The Mandalorian is a Western. That is some pretty sweet stuff. Uh, we TV reminiscing. Aw, you're so kind. Those days. Those days. Have you gone back and watched any Wii TV like, recently? Like, have you, since you've spent more than a week watching me like this, go, go check that stuff out and see how, uh, what's the word, contradistinct? Is it contradistinct? What happened besides 15 years? You know, is it 15? No. What is it? We're at eight now, nine maybe? Ten? When did I first start that? Do I still have Wathers Church? No, we talked about that in another place. Um, I do not. Uh, I don't even know where that image is. If you can find the image and put it on a shirt, go ahead and do it. Uh, a lot of Vikings, that's right. The Viking direction. Uh, we do have ninjas of old, but the ninjas have realized the power of the Viking. And uh, shaking the paper, all that good stuff. Wait, do I have something today? I'll try to do it. There we go. Cats and goats, pixelated ninjas. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah, email. Yep, all that. Thank you for the comments and the feedback there. Um, I'm going to jump in back to this. Let's see. This uh, I I can, if I'm out of it, I can do this. There we go. That made it faster, but I still have to worry about eyeglasses. Great program. Otherwise, turning everything to automatic focus. Let's go over to the comments and just uh, check you guys out here a little bit. Let you see what you're talking about. Mom Monster says, yes, we TV junkie here. Uh, Mrs. Harris is throwing up the, the peace signs and the, uh, the, is that the rock on sign? Can you use the heavy metal devil sign as like, you know, we used to do it with WeTV. It's so funny, whatever that means. Uh, Teresa says, I only play Stardew Valley. You know, I've heard good things about it. I'm really afraid to let my third child know what that is because I think she would become ridiculously addicted to it. Uh, I'm here. Dollism showed up, didn't miss much. Riff Raff says, hey, uh, and GM, Ardeth, Harzik, good vibes. Happies. Everyone's happy this morning. Cool. Um, I am going to delete these. Do, 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 do. We're going to go to your questions here from the Mad Context. Although, I want to see a little of your response. Jedi Knight Anakin says, What I like about Alex so far is the lore editions. I've heard that if you're going to play it, you do need to go and like watch some summary on YouTube of, of everything that's happened. Otherwise, it's not going to make a lot of sense storyline. And honestly, I know very little about that. Uh, makes the Combine look like they tried to help humanity, but it was Bran who made a mess. See, that went all over my head. Uh, but that's all right. It sounds cool. I think I know who the Combine are. I know there's a crowbar involved. And that crowbar, I can only imagine in VR that crowbar is going to be sweet. If With a 10 review from IGN, I cannot, I mean, they did not, no VR is getting 10s. They're not even getting 8s. <laughs> Sevens, you know, VR is so far behind. So, yeah, I, I can only imagine um, that crow, crowbar would be sweet. All right. Um, talking to Billy Bob Jr., Caleb says, uh, I think the idea of online communion was recently discussed in issues, etc. Responding to a listener email. Yes, and in this this upcoming uh, Mad Mondays, you will also have a link to the CTCR document released on this very issue. Uh, the CTCR, the Commission on Theology and Church Relations, though often derided in a in a loving, chiding kind of way is something of a, why are they telling us what the Missouri Synod thinks? They are, in fact, the official dogmatic statement maker for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And when asked for certain questions to be answered, whether by the president or whether by a seminary or whether by synod and convention, they will they will give answers. And those answers are more than just one man or, or a group's answers, although in theory they could become that. But in theory, at the moment, what they are is very biblically discerned answers from elected leadership within the LCMS. And they've released a document on this very question just this week. Okay, responding to listener email. Oh, sorry, um, online communion, online communion. I was so grateful 
because you just never know when it goes to committee. I'm, I'm not kidding. When it goes to committee, and that is, God bless us, what the CTCR is. When it goes to committee, you never know what's going to come out. And uh, I'm so thankful that what came out was faithful. It's so faithful. It's such a faithful answer. And, and so I'm just going to commend that document to you and then give you the very simple answer that online communion doesn't exist. There is no such thing. And if you think that's your solution, bowing the knee to Baal and really Kronos through the technology is son Hephaestus and all that. You think that that, I mean, what you're doing is you're making the words of institution a magic. You're denying that the assembly is an assembly and you're calling it instead an individually. Yeah. Without, by the power of mighty Kronos technology, right? Uh, by the power of Wayland the Smith and his internets. Uh, you say it by the power of the word, yet in the same way the Roman Catholics are saying it. And so you might as well just, well, do what they do. And what they do is they get together and just have the priest drink it themselves because it works that way. So, you know, why bother? Um, yeah, so there's a CTCR document. Read it. They'll be much nicer than I just was on it. I, I, if, you're, if, you, if you're willing to try that, you haven't thought it through. That's all I can get to you. If you're a sacramental, if you're a Lutheran, if you're a real Lutheran, you believe it. Book of Concord, okay? I, whatever. You like the hymn or not? I don't care. But you say Book of Concord, you say I'm a real Lutheran, okay? If you think you're going to do online communion, you haven't thought it through. Go read your confessions hard. Read the formula hard. You're undermining the existence of the church. You're taking away the substance of our life together, the heartbeat. You're killing it, okay? So that's different than feeding people with the stream service of the word. That's a completely different thing. Again, Wolf Mueller and I went into this in detail on the podcast. Bonus content that was just released on Thursday. You can find that on Podbean, iTunes, all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, the, the same idea that you have, you have this plethora of, of the word going out right now, which is great. And, and yes, El Guapo, I do know what a plethora is. And if you didn't get it, that's okay. You can't not say that when you say the word plethora. But with that said, there is a plethora of word, good, faithful Lutheran word getting sent out. And we should not decry or diminish that at all. Not even a little bit. It's marvelous. Every piece of that is getting used somewhere where before, whatever I or Wolfmuller or Roseboro or Issues, you know, those of us who are on the internet, whatever we're doing, we're getting so far. Now it's going to go poof. I hope, I hope to God, I really, this is my prayer, that this, in fact, does catalyze online imbibing of the word amongst what? Lutherans, amongst Christians, period, right? It could do that for us. But, but if it does that for us at the diminishment of our gathering together to be made common, unified with Jesus in the flesh and with each other in the flesh through our, our, our mutual body, Jesus, well, then we just can't really call ourselves the church because the word church means, like it's the word, assembly. There is no church when there is no church. There is no assembly when there is no assembly. And what do Christians assemble around? I mean, the word, yes. But it's the word and the, the, the sacrament, right? You guys know this. Good morning, Ahoy from Phoenix. We're going way back here. Ahoy from Phoenix, Chris says here. Uh, what else we got from areas of the planet? Wisconsin, central Wisconsin and Milwaukee check-in. In, oh my, there's a lot of you sitting there, Wisconsin. What's wrong with that state? Too many Lutherans there. Uh, bu -bu -bu -bu. Actually, that's kind of true. We already mentioned Texas, but Cafe Sola checking in from Texas there again. I think, I think, no button there for like. I don't know what that means. I'm looking for that stuff. None of it. Um, Pastor, this is worth it. Just because you said it. Zephan. 
not from Phoenix. Pastor, what does the sign? What does the sign behind you mean? I don't know. Like right before I went live, I'm like looking at my my background here, my camera, and like, oh, I didn't even talk about this. Like, like there's my there's my studio, right? But we're contemplating a real renovation of the studio stuff, kind of in general. And so to make that happen, I'm out here right now, and it'll be that way for at least two to three months. So there's no real cool background like there was, right? And um, so I was like just looking at it, and like that's really boring. Why don't I just put a piece of paper up there with some words on it? And the first words that came to mind, I kid you not, for no good reason at all, were simply that there is no spoon. Which I almost wanted to put it in quotes and then have a dash and have it say the tick. But I thought that would be two Easter eggs too far and far too, like, what, postmodern fusion confusing, right? I mean, it's not use the force, Harry, but it's almost there, right? So Spoon, by the way, is the battle cry of a comic book character called The Tick, who was also a animated character in the 80s, 90s, 90s, um, that I watched as a kid, right? And he's just a, he's a goofball moron with superpowers who wins every time. And his battle cry is, in fact, like when he goes into battle, every time he, he shouts, Spoon, okay? So that's funny. And if you don't think that's funny, I don't know how to help you. That's funny. Okay, so there's that. But then you have um, a movie that, that amazingly to me, far, far too few children know about. And by children, I mean any of you under 35. Now, maybe 35 is cutting it too high. Maybe it's 28, somewhere in there. But somewhere in that, somewhere between 35 and 28, nobody watched The Matrix. And I'm like, wait a minute. I know two and three were bad. But they, I didn't think they were so bad they would kill number one as, a, as an emblem of, of uh, American pop culture. And it's still kind of out there, I think, but like, but not the way that, say, Star Wars is, right? Uh, not the way that what would be another kind of good example of a, a non-Star Wars, right? Star Wars, like, owns the universe, but, uh, you know, a, a platform. James Bond, right? It doesn't go away, uh, you know who, every generation is going to learn who James Bond is. How does it that not every generation has watched The Matrix? I, I don't I don't know. Because it is that important a movie to thinking about reality in general. Okay? Uh, it, it, is, it is a way to challenge your assumptions, especially if, right now, as I'm talking about all the time here, right? As, we're, as we have to reorient our mindset as Christians over and against the pagan, evil, demonic, lying, devil-owned, God-maintained, and God-preserved world, okay? As we're trying to, like, think that through and maybe use this moment of crisis and, and fear of death and, and confusion for the world and what's real and is the media telling the truth, to, to ask ourselves what our worldview is based on and what our assumptions are based on and how much of what we believe is simply because we haven't thought about it or looked far enough Matrix as a movie will force you to ask that question in a, like an, an essential. That'd be a, I'm, I'm going to lose the big word. I want the big word just so I can annoy you with it. Um, in an epistemological way. Oh, epistemology is the worst word. The study of existing. Okay. In, in, a, in, a, in an epistemological, in the essence of what it means to exist, who am I way. The Matrix is a movie. If you've never seen it, you don't know it. It will challenge you to ask, what am I? What is this planet? It's too bad that they had Keanu Reeves in it because he's really a terrible actor. And if you don't believe me, watch Much Ado About Nothing, which is a fantastic bit of Shakespeare. Really great movie, even though he almost destroys it single-handedly with only like 10 lines. But anyway, um, 
uh, Keanu, uh, whatever. The story, in the story, uh, this phrase, there is no spoon, is kind of his character, Neo is his name, his character's realization of how much of a lie he has believed because he's been told to believe it and how the, the greater and deeper reality can like pierce through all of it and make all of it almost like dust in the wind. It's so Christian in a sense. It's, it's, it's realizing that this world is, is round one, you know, RPG dystopia game of death and everybody dies before they reach the end, except for you get a second life in Jesus, okay? Right? Resurrection, new world, all that. As you're thinking about that, there is no spoon is basically saying, you know, all is dust and ashes. He says it like it doesn't exist. He's got this Eastern mythology thing going on. Uh, and in the movie, they, they mess with it. It's more in the second movie that they really get into the Buddhism stuff. Um, in this one, it's it's just he's just realizing that he doesn't he, he's bigger than what he thinks he is in the world as he perceives it. And that's what faith in the promises of Jesus actually is. Whether or not they intended that with the movie, that's what faith in the promises actually is. It's, it's bigger than the reality that you see. Now, the words are truer than the apparent effect of them. All that we see is water as we pour it. Yet before the eyes of faith unfolds the power of Jesus, marriage, right? Oh, it's baptism is a song. But yeah, so there is no spoon. Um... What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Yeah? I don't know. It was random. I just threw it up there. I was just like, I wonder if anybody will know. And I was like, I wonder if someone will think I'm sending a secret message that I'm a conspiracy theorist and don't believe coronavirus exists. And you have to know the matrix to be able to understand this. I was like, I wonder if someone's going to think that. Uh, because that's not what I'm doing. Uh, but I thought it'd be kind of funny because that's how a conspiracy theorist would think. And then if I really was one, would I tell you? Or would I just put it out there to scare you and then tell you I didn't so you would think it, but then I could remain publicly safe? You know what I'm saying? I know how it works in conspiracy minds. Um, dangerous holes, though, those. I really mean it. I was joking, mostly, right there. Um, certainly, be skeptical. Uh, if there is one great conspiracy, mastering everything is not run by men. I'll say that. Jonathan says, I stepped aside for 10 minutes, and I'm watching at 1.5 speed to catch up. I, I bet it is. I, I'm going to leave that up there for a second. I am going to go to your comments from email uh, here in a moment. But um, I, 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 yes, I bet it is. I cannot go to YouTube without putting it at 1.5 speed and sometimes two uh, for almost anything I watch now. And I wish there were a way to, maybe if you know, I should know this, but I don't. Is, is there a way to like default it to 1.5 or two? I would. Okay. Everything should be faster. <laughs> um, but I can't imagine trying to watch me at that speed. Uh, Cause I think, I think that 1.5 is about what I'm normally at. Right. Uh, when I talk. Can give you breaths. I can pause. I just know you're more likely to keep listening if I keep going. And if the sound's good enough, you can understand every little word that I say. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, there's that. Um, I can pause for a moment. So I can't imagine. I can't imagine what what it's like. Like like if you're trying to listen with some sort of smart pause, taking my pauses out. Um, I bet you it's clipping. Uh, I am not the only one who I think fits that boat, but uh, uh, there's a number of other podcasts I do have to pull down. And I'm always thankful for that. It's like, oh, wow, they did a good enough job of staying lively that I don't want to speed through it. So all that said, all right, uh, I am going to, it looks like you guys are having a good conversation over there, but I'm not going to dive into it. I'm going to practice this button like this. See, and you get to see the picture. So that's Oz, huh? That's pretty sweet looking. I didn't even know. I was just like, that's just a cool dream world kind of thing. 
And I have a, I have a whole pile of uh, desktop imagery that I've used for various uh, speaking engagement kind of thing. I just throw a picture up there sometimes. And my favorite ones I'll throw into a pile that's just called, you know, it's a folder called desktop images. And whenever my Mac decides to take away my desktop, which happens every, I don't know, couple of months, updates maybe, I don't know. I'll go in there, I'll grab a new one, just throw it in. And so I just, this was just there. So that's pretty cool. But now the goal is to actually go here and assuming everything else is good, get into some of these questions. Question regarding the supper and forgiveness. Pastor Fisk, just finished reading Without Flesh. Great read, by the way. That's exciting. Um, now, hold on a second here. Did we do this last week? Uh, yes, it is. Oh, goodness gracious. This is a miscommunication on my part, I think. Let's see. I really am sorry. Yes, yeah, yeah, we did do this last week. Okay. Well, then, we're going to go ahead and pull that one out and cut back here. Now, we did talk about this, but I, I do want to do more on this one. This is good. Fisk uh, has repeatedly stated that it is a bad idea to try to cover... Cover to cover, read the Bible, I think. <laughs> uh, I think what you mean to say is, Red Fisk has repeatedly stated it's a bad idea to read the Bible cover to cover. Uh, a recommended reading order of the books of the Bible could be an awesome resource. And then, uh, yeah, last time I talked about this, I went off on the website, but I want to talk about the resource itself because I completely agree with you. Um, so here, here's the thing, and that was from Joe. Um, I don't know. There, there are chronological orderings of the Bible, chronological. So they're, you know, they're put from on a, on a timeline point of view. And I, I want to read through one of those cover to cover. I never have. I would like to do that somehow. And I know for me, the only way that's going to happen is if I buy a paper bound one. I, my wife has been doing it for a year uh, by going to the ESV website every day and clicking like three clicks to get into a digital version. <laughs> and I'm God bless her. Uh, I, I, if, if I got to go do two clicks for two days in a row, it just doesn't happen. And that's a weakness. I don't know that I want to overcome it. I'd rather find ways around it. And the way around it, believe it or not, is a paper Bible, which would be really cool. But money, right? So I haven't bought that. Um, but what I, the, the reason I'm talking about this again, though, is so chronological is only one way of thinking about it. Chronological is only one way of thinking about it. So the Bible as story from, from point A to point B. But like, you know who the Gideons are? The Gideons are a group of really well-meaning, usually very nice, often attending very liberal and even non-biblical churches who, in their spare time and as their commitment, their devotion, try to put Bible translations into hospital rooms and uh, hotel rooms, anywhere they can put it, basically. And the problem is uh, they're a bit of a, a sect in that, you know, they say they're not a church body, and they're not because they only use guys from other church bodies, but they more or less do hold a sacramentarian theology uh, and not really in a strong reformed way that I understand it. Um, but again, each man's allowed to kind of to believe what he wants to believe, which again, it would be sort of a Baptist approach to the whole thing. So, so Missouri Synod churches often don't have a lot to do with the Gideons. Uh, in theory, we have our own Bible translators. Uh, uh, Lutheran Bible translators is the name of that organization. Uh, mixed reviews uh, on that one on a number of levels from a number of corners. Uh, and, and so, you know, uh, what, what do Lutherans do? I, I don't know, but what we don't usually do is use the Gideons. Um, but what I want to, I want to call you to here is, so what are they doing the Gideons? So the Gideons are taking a translation of the Bible and I'm not even sure which one they're using. It might be KJV. It might be NKJV. I'm not sure, but they're taking that and they're putting it out, you know, in a hotel room. They're hoping that somebody is in trouble 
right? And they're going to pick up that book and they're going to read and they're going to find Jesus and they're going to be saved. I think that's a very laudable hope. I, I, so what I'm saying right now, please in no way let this be a condemnation of that idea because I think that idea is great. Right? It's, it's, it's one thing to have an end that's a good end. It's another thing to have a, um, a means of getting there that's not good. And that's what I, I would consider the Gideon's means of drawing together Christian men to work together is not good. And part of it is shown in that they know that no one's going to pick up the Bible, just the Bible, only the Bible. We swear nothing but the Bible and, and find Jesus very easily. And so what they do is they put in a little thing in the front with some questions and some look at these verses and a path of salvation and a bunch of other stuff, most of which ain't bad, although it, it more you know reflects that sacramentarian position. Okay, so fine. But what is that saying? What is that saying when they say as an organization, we are just putting the Bible out there, but then they don't. They, in fact, put a question and answer out there in front of the Bible to try to get people to see Jesus in the Bible. What is that saying about the Bible? Now, in theory, what that's saying about the Bible is that the Bible is confusing and doesn't make sense, which goes directly against something that we believe as Lutherans called perspicuity. The perspicuity, and yeah, that's a really weird word to pronounce, the perspicuity of the Bible is right there with its inerrancy, right? It's, it's lack of error, but it's, it's different than lack of error. It is clear. It is understandable. It is not confusing. It is something that anyone can read and understand. Okay, well, okay, but, 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 but the perspicuity of the Bible and the doctrine of that, of its clarity, does not mean that every single line and every single word makes a ton of sense to everybody ever. It just means that that which is supposed to be clear is evident and cannot be ignored. You cannot read the Bible and think that the Bible says Jesus didn't rise from the dead. You can't not see that, right? It's perspicuity, it's clearness. So there's that. But then you also know that if you pick it up and you just start in at Genesis chapter one, you may never even hear about Jesus because it's just, there's some unclear parts before you get there and you might quit, right? So, so imagine the scenario where you've got this really sad, what hungover drug addict just got done with a prostitute, hates their life, wants to commit suicide. They're in a hotel room. They open up the drawer and there's the Bible. Okay. Imagine a translation, not so much word for word, but ordering, an edited ordering of the scriptures in the majority of their totality or in a summary of their totality that could rightly be called the Bible that they could pick up and they could just start on page one and you wouldn't have to say anything else. Now, if that were the case, I tell you, it would start with the gospel of John. And I don't think anybody can argue against that because it just by itself hits. It hits everything, right? So I know that much in my head at least. But then what, right? What happens after John? Is it Acts? Maybe? Is it Romans? Can't be Galatians. Galatians would have to be in the middle of Acts. And I believe that the... Um, I believe the Daily Lectionary, which is not my favorite thing in the world, but we got one uh, in the Missouri Senate, the LSB. Um, I believe the Daily Lectionary does do that. When you're reading through Acts, you stop and you jump over and you hit Galatians and you come back to Acts right at the point of controversy. Like That makes sense, right? Um, but I don't know. So the work to make this resource, the awesome resource I imagine it could be, that is a full-time job for a theologian for a good two to three years probably. <laughs> Uh, which is why I don't know how it's ever going to happen, right? And this is the, this is an LCMS thing. Like like Zondervan could do this, CPH could maybe do this if they wanted to do this, but they have a very specific sort of agenda for their goals, and I, I respect that. 
but you would have to be a real a real big organization. We just don't have very many that would do this kind of thing. And then let alone would do it with, with Christ at the center, right? How many publishing houses are going to do this and really understand typology, uh, really understand how to lead the center uh, into Christ? So that like, imagine that like you really start with the New Testament, not the Old, right? And then Hebrews is the transition to the Old Testament, right? Revelation's after the Old Testament. You never, you never get to that one. You just put, it's still at the end, right? Uh, but first, uh, you got the New Testament, and then Hebrews transitions you into the Old Testament, right? Uh, to, to do that with the text, right? Without having to write editorial uh, connection points and all that, that would be an awesome resource. You're right. I'm affirming you. I hope that made sense, all that stuff. Uh, I think I maybe had an issue with updating because... I know Frisbee did some new question pulling together. Um, oh, this is interesting. And maybe I just didn't delete the ones from last week. I bet you that's what happened. I'm going to do this here. I can't see. Do, do, do. All right, Riff Fisk. I watched Saturday Morning Chill. heard you talk about fighting internally, about which book to write first. Right, so myself. What am I going to write next? Yes. Maybe these aren't the two you were thinking about. But what do you think about having your two kinds of wisdom, second wisdom, book show up in dust? Um, maybe it's something in the main character. And I feel like I talked about this somewhere else too. So yeah, I'm still on this issue of repeating the questions. That's okay. Because this one to me is really helpful. And and if you don't care about my my writing, um, then cool. This is not going to be the video for you. Um, but if you're a writer, you're an artist, maybe it will be because it, it shows you like how do you detail or decide which of the many great ideas you have, because they're all great, right? Every single one. <laughs> um, the, the ideas you think are great that you have, how many of them do you try to actually complete? And then when you have one that's got something really cool, how often should you try to, to you know, it's going to die on the vine. How often do you try to make it part of something else? Yeah. And I don't know that there's a, there's not a right or wrong answer to that, but that's what you're asking here a little bit. And here's, here's what I know. I know that what dust is supposed to be is going to do that anyway. As a fiction story, the goal is a soft apologetic. Uh, there's a book by Craig Parton called The... Um, uh, is it called The Defense Rests? It's not called The Defense Rests. Is that it? The Defense Rests? Golly, someone, if you know it in the comments, let me know. I'll, I'll throw it up here. Um, uh, Craig Parton, I think it's The Defense never rests is the defense never rests in any case the book is 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 good i don't want to i don't want to say it's it's a seven right um seven out of ten uh but it's a little clunky in the middle of the transition it's really kind of two books in one and they both are kind of ebook length um not that that makes them bad but just if you approach it that way i think the book will make more sense um but the second kind of main ebook part of the book is about this thing called a soft apologetic which is that uh when we're trying to convert people to christianity there are, there are two approaches that we can take. And one of them is the hard apologetic, which is, is just the clear proclamation. He has risen just as he said, you know, the kind of stuff you kind of expect from me in this channel a little bit, just straight up. Here's the answer. I'm going to defend it. I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to get mad at you unless I get mad at you. Then I'll apologize. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, that, that's your hard apologetic, a conversation and a debate. A soft apologetic is when you take your worldview and you make art. And again, that can be a poem, that can be a hymn, that can be a piece of picture, you know, medium of paint, uh, that can be a video, that can be a 
book and a story, right? A play, any of those things. And what the idea is that the worldviews of the characters end up teaching the worldview of the author, you, and that you, with that worldview of the author being Christianity, will then impact people with Christianity in a way that can nudge them closer to the ideas of Christianity so when they run into the heart apologetic, they're ready to handle it. C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia would be a really good example of this kind of work. It has captured the, 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 the conscience of all sorts of people, some of whom will never be Christians, but some of whom no doubt were more prepared for Christianity and their experience of it when they had to grapple with it because of that soft apologetic. And the some of the gamifying that I've been talking about here a little bit too, that would also fit into that. So, so any story that I write that's fiction is going to be doing that anyway. But then what I'm torn about here is that there's a real difference between that soft apologetic and a hard apologetic. And my writing so far, so far as you have consumed it, any of you who have, has been strictly hard apologetic. Although you'll notice I write some soft apologetic in it, you know, in, in Broken, there's a whole section on Final Fantasy storylines, right? So whatever, it's playing with it. But uh, no, uh, without flesh, uh, someone called it a tactical strike. Um, it really is narrowing in that hard apologetic. So I feel a conscience bound because you've read these things. Some of you, you've, you've, uh, you've uh, benefited from them. My conscience feels like I would be doing a disservice to you, to the world, to God, um, as his, you know, servant, his pastor, his sent one, just a guy, but with certain things that I do, if I didn't do more hard apologetics, if I stopped my conscience, uh, would, would accuse me. And, and the problem is even trying to stop long enough to really give dust a good couple of months, my conscience is just, it, it's accused me so much that I haven't done it. Yeah. Now there's a great other book out there called the, uh, the war of art, not to be confused with the art of war, but the war of art is about how making anything you care about that you had as an idea come to pass is very difficult to do because you are your own greatest enemy. Uh, you have something within you that the, the book calls the resistance, which is really your fear of succeeding. Weird is so true though. If you want to go, go read, ponder on this it's the fear of success that most often stops us from trying. Uh, but uh, in that, then, that resistance, you come up with ways of avoiding the work so you don't have to risk succeeding and what that would mean by impacting your life because it would change your comfort zone. Uh, and, and that's definitely what I'm doing with Dust. I'm not saying Dust would necessarily succeed. Um, and part of there is a, a fear of failure there as, as well. See, the conscience knows that one up in the head. But it's that fear of success that's the primal thing and, and really uh, gets in your way. What if it actually was good, right? Um, what happens then? So, uh, on that then yeah, your, your, your suggestion is like, you know, merge these. Yes, kind of. Um, but two kinds of wisdom is a very specific hard apologetic. It, it blends on, or the second wisdom, right? Is, is the real title. It blends or will blend on a soft apologetic because it's going to be couched hidden, like just a book of wisdom. Um, but it will in fact be a hard apologetic by the end of the book. Uh, and then, um, I have another one I really want to get out to you, uh, called bad fruit. Uh, which I've only is only an outline form, but the goal is to take Douglas Judish's a evaluation of the claims of the charismatic gifts, long title if there ever was one, uh, and and update the thought process a little bit um, and get that out to you. So I really want to want to do that one, and that one's been started, right? So there, there there's edges there. There's a whole book called um, uh, uh, oh, I'm gonna lose the title. It's silly. Uh, the Sojourner's Guide to the Galactic War. Uh, which is generally about the armor of God. 
and uh, that was something I was trying to work on. Like I thought that's what Echo was going to be, and then Echo happened instead. Long story, but that's still sitting there. It's like a, it's like half written, right? So you know, how do you how do you decide to leave those behind? And you can't take all those things and shove them all into just every single story you ever write. Because as much as I want Dust to be the greatest story I ever write, like no, I really don't. I want it to be one, and then I want to write another one after it. I'd like to write three to five fiction books before I die, and I'd like to write another ten to fifteen hard apologetics before I die. And that's only what, 30 years if I'm lucky, 40 years if I'm lucky as a writer now. So at two years per book minimum, I mean, I can do it, um, but I got to be really careful. And if I have a new idea like Emberfall, which I just saw this morning, a new idea, Emberfall, or I had a, I had a kid's book idea yesterday. It was, it's called uh, Night of the Weremouse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it'd be fun. It'd be hilarious. Uh, you know, whatever. But but like, how many of those can I chase? Let's get us back to that dreams, goals thing, right? Oh, which is which? Which one do I leave on the dream wall? And which one do I make a goal? And what you're watching me do publicly, even with this conversation, is I'm wrestling with saying, I want my book dust to be a real goal in my life and not just a dream anymore. But this second wisdom thing showed up out of the blue. And I also feel that way about this. So now I have these two things vying for my attention and what's getting my attention instead is trying to clean the heck out of my file system, both digital and hard so that I can get to my writing files without having a clutter pile between me and them. And then if I'm blessed and forgiven, I will eventually begin to work on stuff. So why am I even talking about it? It's killing the mojo. What are we doing? Um, I did find, you can see here on the side, I found a bunch of old Ask the Pastor questions from way back in the day. This is crazy. Just look at this, right? This is just me cataloging questions from Worldview Everlasting from back in the day. Look at, these are unanswered. That's just number one. Just wait. Oh, this one is, I don't know. That's like videos you guys sent in to look at. And then that one's not as big. That first one was big. Here they go. Old should be big though, I think, right? Because that's a PDF, right? Wow, look at this. Look at this. Those are all questions. Questions. Ah. What does the scripture mean when it talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit? The account of Pentecost mentions the apostles being filled with the Holy Spirit, and it mentioned a couple other times in scripture. Plus, it's also a phrase used a lot by my Pentecostal charismatic friends. Thank you for your help. Well, um, that is a good question. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And I think if we were going to give that any kind of do, as I go back to the, let's do this again here. We'll go here. Let's keep it in the manual. We're going to go here. We're going to look for some Bible, some Bible. Okay, so I got to use my particular translation, but we're going to Google filled in spirit. We're going to search for filled in spirit in my translation, ESV at the moment. Uh oh, I didn't put the other quotes on there. Does that make it? Oh, exclamation point is going to make it not show up at all. <laughs> nope. Oh, come on, typo. There we go. So, Acts, right? Fill with the Spirit in Acts. We're looking at Acts chapter 2, verse 4 is the first. Well, that's pretty important, I would say. Uh, mentioned again in 4, verse 8. Uh, then you have 431. So, two of them there in chapter 4. Chapter 5, 5, 3. Uh, chapter 9. Chapter 13. Twice in chapter 13. All right. So, first, let me just say... This is English. And as much as what I'm about to do probably is going to work just fine, there's also a good chance that at least one of these doesn't even belong in the category we're about to look at. Because the thing is, sometimes the same English word gets used to translate different Greek words. And when you're trying to narrow down what may or may not be something you could consider a 
technical phrase or a, a term, right? Old grade school books is like they they put it in bold and then they tell you what it meant. And you had to write it down and take a test on it, right? A, a technical term like that. Um, if you're going to find those in scripture and they do exist in scripture, you got to find them in the original language. You cannot do it in your English translation. That's just, it's just made up then, right? It, it may or may not be giving you the real meaning. So that's what I'm saying. That's my caveat here. Although I'm pretty sure um, this one, uh, the context that we're seeing in this is going to be really evident either way, but you know, leave that as a caveat. So Acts chapter two, if you're going to have a technical term, well, then the first place it shows up in the scriptures is going to be pretty important. <laughs> You know, so when the day of Pentecost arrived, oh yeah, that was a, that was a big day. A lot of stuff happened that day. Do I need to review that day for you? I don't really want to right now, but I can. Right? Um, it was a big day. Like the old covenant, more or less was over, but no one really knew it yet entirely or understood it. And the new covenant kind of had begun Monday, Thursday, uh, and yet this was the day in which it all really kind of went whack and, and, and changed over. And particularly if you're talking about the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy about the end of the Old Testament itself and the end of prophecy, by the way, um, this is it, okay? Uh, this is the fulfillment of things like Zechariah and Amos and all this stuff. So uh, the day of Pentecost arrives, and this Pentecost being a Levitical festival. So this is an Old Testament festival. It's a harvest festival. It's about the reaping of the good grain, which should tell you something because the fields are ripe for the harvest as the apostles are about to preach. Uh, the, the apostles, that's who the they is here, particularly the 11, but now plus one, Matthias, has been uh, put into the place of Judas. They're all in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there's an implication, by the way, in the word, this is shook the house. Uh, divided tongues as of fire rested on each one of them. Like, this is a big deal this day. It's kind of important. Um, now, I've said this before many other places. I'll say it again, though. If you are a good Hebrew scholar, if you love your Old Testament, and you know it well, and you understand how it interfaces with the New Testament, then you have to see that the fire and the wind and the earthquake as a triumvirate, as a group of three, they exist another place in Scripture that's really, really important. That place is on uh, Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, uh, with Elijah having gone there because God told him to go there, fled for his life from Jezebel, wanting to end his life, all this kind of stuff. And God shows up, you remember this, and he's, there's a fire, but he's not in the fire. And there's a wind, but he's not in the wind. And there's an earthquake, but he's not in those things. And then there's the still small voice that all the evangelicals will use to tell you to listen to your like Jiminy Cricket inside of you being God's prophetic revelation every day for what toothpaste to buy, which is crazy talk, okay? Um, that still small voice is actually a voice, Elijah, why are you here? Right? Like an actual voice, just not loud and mean like I just did it. But but here's the thing now. So now on the day of Pentecost arriving with these 12 apostles in one place, and suddenly there's all these things. Is the Spirit of God in these things? And the answer, if you know your Elijah story, is no. They're filled with the Spirit and they begin to speak with that still small voice. In other tongues, what? In other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And what are they doing in these tongues with other languages? Do I need to take you down here and show it? They're talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what they're doing. So they're proclaiming, I can't do it. I should learn to do this in like Spanish and German and Chinese and just go bam, bam, bam. He has risen, he has risen, he has risen, all in different languages. Because that's what was going on that made them think they were drunk. Okay, so all these people are there in that day and they hear this shaking thing and they think that's where God is, but the apostles know that's not where God is. 
They hear this shaking thing, and they all come together in the front of the city, and the apostles come out, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. Potentially, we're connected to Old Testament prophecy, by the way. Uh, And what all these people with all these languages are hearing is Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, just as he said. Over and over again in various ways, with different levels of heart apologetic. That's what being filled with the Holy Spirit is did to them. That's how we're going to start understanding that term. When you are filled with the Spirit, you talk about the resurrection of Jesus. That's that's what's going on. Here, Peter does it. Peter stands up with the eleven. Look, guys, they're not drunk. They're not drunk. But the end of the world has come upon us. That's the Amos quote. And you guys know this. You saw the sun go dark a couple of weeks ago, for pity's sake. And, and, and you know the prophecies about the resurrection of, uh, of David and how David said he would never die, but his body's right there. And yet Jesus, the son of David, whom you killed on the day that the sky went dark. Oh, well, he's a prophet and he's in fact God himself and is ascended to the right hand of God, runs all things, and he's going to judge the world as the end of the old covenant, more or less. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? And uh, when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart. Oh, did we just end the covenant? Crap. Again? <laughs> imagine uh what should we do brothers and he says and here's this uh, the baptists don't like it uh repent and be baptized in the name of jesus for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the holy spirit look at that you will receive the holy spirit so you want to be filled with the spirit we talked about it up here filled they were filled with the spirit and began to speak the word of god comes out of you once it goes into you and then what does it say it says baptism gives you the spirit and it's funny how many baptists don't believe baptism gives you the spirit when the bible says the baptism gives you the spirit because they want to think the spirit comes without words which is really weird given the whole point of the spirit is to give you words to speak it all it all makes sense for pity's sake my sacramentary materialistic friends, born of rationalism and the decline of Western civilization, please, it all makes much more sense when the sacraments work. <laughs> it really does. I don't mean to be mean. So, filled with the Spirit, speaking, Acts chapter 4, verse 8 and 31. Verse 8 says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, what do he do? What do he do? What did he do? He said to them, What's he doing? He's preaching, too. This is not just any speaking right now. First two, preaching, predictumped, proclaiming. Rulers, people, elders, let it be known to you, Jesus Christ, raised from the dead. There is no other salvation but him. Amen. And then they, they beat him right then. I forget. I'm trying to skim it. So, but it's pretty clear here, right? Filled with the Spirit means speaking about Jesus being resurrected. Okay, uh, verse 31 also, right? And when they had prayed, the place they were gathered together was shaken. They were filled with the Spirit and continued to... What, is it right there? Is it almost like it actually is just evident what it means? I don't mean to be mean to you. That was a long time ago question. I have no idea if you're ever watching again. I don't mean to be mean to you. But this is so wonderfully demonstrating how simple and perspicuous the Bible really is, even in English. Even where one of these may or may not be like well-translated technical term study stuff, look at it. Every verse so far. Chapter 5. Which, what, what number was it in chapter 5? Uh, verse 3. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart with to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep... Oh, see, there you go. That actually doesn't apply. We have filled and spirit, but it's actually Ananias' heart filled with a lie, and he lied to the Spirit. So uh, 5... 
31 or 5-3. 5-3 does not count. We're going to skip on to 9-17, right? So, so you had both the words show up in that verse and had in English had nothing to do with the technical term at all and was even a wrong referent point, right? So you got to be able to, to pierce or perceive those things as well. 9-17 says, uh, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is, they and the party of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. Do I see? I don't see spirit in there. It just gave us filled. That's not there at all. Let's see here. We're going to go command F. Spirit. Uh, S P. Oh, come on now. Typo, typo. S P I R I T. Um, that was the first one. Oh, we're still in five. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I need 917. That was my problem. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, so Ananias departed and entered the house. This is a different Ananias, by the way. It's the conversion of Saul. Uh, laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, which came, by which you came, has sent me, probably apostle right there, may not be, maybe Pempo, but good chance there's apostle action going on here, has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, now, keep reading immediately. Scales from his eyes. Okay, so the Holy Spirit gave him his eyesight back according to a very particular and special promise. Then he he resurrected, which is really kind of cool. There's a little pun there. He rose. He got up, but um, it's the same word. Uh, and he was, oh, interesting. Before he preaches or even speaks to confess the faith, he he becomes a Christian. He's, he's baptized and taking food, he's strengthened. And for some days he was with the disciples and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. Oh, look, it happened again. He is the son of God. All who heard him were amazed. This is not the man who caused all the havoc. Cry havoc. Chapter 13. Oh, I didn't look at the verse numbers. We got verse 9 and verse 52 in chapter 13. Verse 9. Paul said, who was also called, oh, sorry, Saul said, who was also called Paul. By the way, it's really easy. Saul, Hebrew. Paul, Greek. Paul is a guy who lived in both worlds. Had a Hebrew name and a Greek name. That's all it is. Uh, he goes by one or the other, and it has more to do with the transition from being a, a Pharisee to being a apostle to the nations, the Greeks, right? It has more to do with that than, say, Paul becoming a new man, although that's there too. Um, but the reasoning, right? He already had the name Paul, but it became how he was known even among the Pharisees, whereas he used to be Saul of Tarsus, right? He gives up his good name. He gives up his brand. Uh, which is really kind of a key thing. So anyway, uh, uh, but Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him, and what did he do? Oh, did he? He he spoke again. And th this time is interesting, though. This is a condemnation. Uh, where are we at here? Verse 13. Uh, da, 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 five. The right of assemblage, the Lord of God. Is this the guy who's asking? Yes, a bar Jesus, right? Um, this guy wants to buy Bar Jesus is like this magician, sorcerer, wise man kind of guy. And, you know, I don't know, guru, yogi instructor. And he wants to buy uh, Paul's miracle powers, uh, his, his power of the word of God. And Paul condemns him. Um, hold on now. Is that Bar Jesus? That's the prophet. Hold on. It's Elamias. Elamus. Elamus the magician. Uh, so Paul says to him, you son of the devil, you enemy of righteousness. I mean, these are kind like inviting words, right? Full of deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Behold, the hand of the Lord is brought upon you and you'll be blind and unable to see the sun for some time. Darkness fell upon him. He went about seeking to lead people by the hand. Uh, then the proconsul believed. For 
he was astonished at, now this is pretty important, don't miss it in our understanding, the teaching of the Lord. So between uh, Paul prophesying condemnation of the devil and all sin and false religion, you also have a proclamation that converts somebody to the teaching of the Lord, that being Jesus. So somewhere in the midst of all of this, you still have a proclamation of Christ, although if we're going to get all technical about it, yep, this one doesn't fit as well as my other ones. Although by the end of the book, which this is, and in which we have really no more after this, just one more in this chapter. The establishment of the meaning of the term earlier as speaking about the resurrection of Jesus should by this point be implied. So every time you hear it, you don't have to say, well, is he going to speak about Jesus? You know that he's going to speak about Jesus, which means that when he says, you son of the devil to this guy, he's actually speaking about Jesus. Not that Jesus is the son of the devil, but that the rest of the words of Jesus come to play as well. Law and gospel, right? The whole, the whole shebang, shabuda. One more, let's see, 1352. What's our capstone look like? And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit as they shook their dust against people leaving the city. Joy, again, a word that probably should be translated as comfort. Comforted by the comforter. And then what do they do? They go somewhere else and they speak. So it's not like it's not there in the context either. So there's my answer to that one. What do you think? You know, um, that was an old, old question. Like I was saying, though, uh, that's what we got in in Evernote there. It's like tons of questions. I just found those this morning. Cafe Solo with a super chat here. I don't know how long you've been sitting waiting for me. I don't know if there are others of you. I'm going to scroll back here. I don't see any past the early, early super chat. So thank you. Uh, why did Paul not have a Roman name? Well, I think Paulos uh, is Greek Roman, but it's not Latin, right? So at this point in history... Latin is not the common language. It will be within three to 500 years. It'll be the common language everywhere, okay? Uh, but right now, even though Latin is the dominant legal language and political discourse language, the language of the bourgeois, far off in their Roman seven hills, right? Um, it, is, it is not what everyone's talking on the ground. The work of Alexander and his four generals and their four empires that came after him uh, really made, made Greek the modern-day English of the planet, uh, on the West Side, at least. West Side? Why do we got a problem with Western civilization? Can I do that? West Side? Um, was that backwards? Uh, da -da 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 -da. So, you know, growing up in Tarsus, uh, a Jewish settlement from the exile where they would have been retaining the Hebrew and Aramaic and learning the Greek of the, the trade around them, there's not necessarily a reason for them to, to know Latin well, although I'd, I'd wager Paul had some familiarity with Latin. Um, but it really wasn't part of what they needed to do unless you're going to preach to, you know, Caesar, which he was. Um, but to have a name, uh, to go by a name from that culture or that civilization, it wasn't like it was like that, right? Greeks, Greek names were more common, were so common. You know, imagine if you went to Rome, you still would have found tons of Greek names. It was a, met it was a metropolis. You would have had names and people like New York from, from all over the world. Latin, again, would just be like in your, uh, uh, your houses in the hills, you know, your, your old money. Uh, and then eventually, eventually Latin begins to spread out, and he largely does this with the church. And all the church becomes a huge part of making Latin be, uh, be permanent. Um, and I don't know as much about that, honestly, but, but I do know that's the timeline, right? Um, so thank you for the question on, on that one, Cafe Sola. Um, ba -ba -ba -ba. Uh, Jeremy chimes in, glad you mentioned Paul not taking his new name at conversion, but rather giving it uh, up his good name. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, that's well said right there, right? So <clears throat> at his conversion, he dies. He loses it all. He never gets it back. Uh, 
dude's a fast his his story i mean talking about stories uh i mean the book of acts does it right but to do that like paul meyer style uh journeys of paul life of paul all the way up to his martyrdom using the traditions or or uh christ the lord out of egypt style to do that with paul's life what a thing man so i, I don't have time for that book that's a great book though someone should write that book uh, ba, 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 ba. any advice about how to correctly balance hospitality with truth? Asked Ryan. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to tell you what my vicar instructor said to me and, and not everything I learned from him did I appreciate, but this one was pretty good. You know, uh, it's a quote from Paul to Timothy with patience and careful instruction. Boom. You can find that one in the NIV. It's right there with patience and careful instruction. Uh, you're not going to balance hospitality and truth. You're going to be hospitable and you're going to tell the truth. And some people will love that. And some people will hate that. And the people who hate it, you're to love them and tell them the truth anyway. And when they do things hateful to you because of it, rather than believe what the world says, which is shame on you, you made someone angry. Why don't you play nice with us in Snowflake land? You can instead believe what the scriptures say, which is that so they treated the prophets who were before you. Rejoice and be glad. Yours is the kingdom. So I get it. You're right. You don't want to be stupid. And when you're in the conversations you uh, with, with leadership at churches and whatnot, uh, you need to think about how you talk. And when you brand, you want to brand carefully. In fact, that reminds me right here. I got a note. I'm going to look for that right there in just a moment. When you brand, you got to brand carefully because a bad name is a bad name. And while Paul was willing to take a bad name in the eyes of the Jews in order to proselytize the Gentiles, we should be taking bad names on purpose just by being jerks, right? It's, it's not our, our goal here. Uh, so you want to be as hospitable as you possibly can, but hospitality does not mean lying to people. Where In, in what moral system does hospitality mean lying to people? And I see a Jedi Knight cringe record with the, ch- uh, the super child grabbing in just a moment. Um, How is hospitable to lie? I don't see how that ever can be. But that's the argument, right? The argument is that we want them to feel welcome, so we'll lie to them. We won't tell them about the dead bodies in the basement. That would make them feel awkward. <laughs> well, if you got something to hide. So what does the church have to hide? Only a cult has something to hide. The church of Jesus has nothing to hide. One of my real efforts here in, in Rockford, I don't know if this will work or not. I have no idea. But we started a conversation about governance here, good order. How do we organize as a congregation? And my primary goal, besides establishing something they can self-manage for the next 130 years so no one alive today has to be able to manage it, and we can give them you know, the tools to pass it on, that'd be good. That'd be useful, right? Aside from that, I want to establish transparency. I want it to be so evident and clear what the decision-making process is that nobody, nobody can say they decided that right? or I didn't know about that. Um, and that has everything to do with creating an environment of hospitality and truth in which everyone believes they have access to the entire truth all the time. Nothing's being done in secret. Nothing's being done in darkness. This is where governmental stuff and, by the way, political church stuff gets so messed up. The moment it starts going into darkness— what are you hiding? Hospitality, then, is kindness, even when it's hard. Oh, hello, person who has coronavirus and is coughing everywhere outside the airport security door, and we have a crowd of a billion people in here, and there's no airflow yet. Do we let you in? What would the hospitable thing be? The hospitable thing would be to give them what they need through a very careful delivery, not touching 
out there. Because the good of the many, dare I, am I going to quote Spock? The good of the many outweighs the good of the one, right? Um, which may not be in the Bible, but kind of is, in fact, Jesus' own very idea. <laughs> uh, so uh, with that said, right, hospitality is always going to be the excessive and extreme charity toward anyone you come face to face with, remembering that everybody counts. And so the person next to you who is near is more needing of your hospitality than the person far from you, right? Even if they visit, you need to be more hospitable to your child than your cousin. Yeah. Um, at church, then this just means welcoming everybody and treat everyone the same, whether they're like you or not, whether they, they look and dress and even act like the Christian you think they should act like or not. That's the hospitality. But then the truth is you don't lie. It's pretty easy. Not really, but it is. Like, it's pretty easy to think about. Oh, oh, you mean I don't lie? Yeah, you don't lie. <laughs> Smile while you tell the truth. That's my advice. Smile and laugh and shrug and say, I know it's crazy. You don't like it. I don't know what to say, but it's true. We're just not going to change it. And the thing is, when you're smiling like that, the TV is so trained. That, you know, if you're just doing this when you talk, they go, and, and they can't get as angry at you. It's really, it's sad. It's Pavlovian. Right, So the nightly news has trained them to take any information and absorb it as it has to be true if you talk like this when you say it. And you just kind of do this, maybe do a little of this and this and kind of over here and then maybe there and like this and Trump is bad, but Fox is good and ah, right? Um, as long as you're smiling, it is kind of, okay, I don't like it. It's not, I don't like it either, right? It just, uh, so that I, I, I'm, 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 I'm charading and ca um, caricaturing myself here. Hopefully I'm not that bad. But it's fair wisdom. Smile makes your voice sound different. And so if you're going to speak a hard truth, try not to be a jerk. <laughs> you know, uh, that, that, that's what that comes down to. Uh, Jedi Knight, Anakin Quindrocker throws me a super chat for 10 bucks. Says, uh, reminds me of Isaiah 28. God said he will make the truth on foreign lips. To know the truth, Israel had to abandon their culture and language. I wonder if that's the future of the progressive West too. Oh, that's interesting. There's a lot in there, Jedi Knight. That's a little master master knight kind of kind of level. I don't know if I can if I can even follow you. So let's start with let's start with um, Isaiah twenty eight. So I'm gonna head over there real fast, and then I'll get it up on the screen here. Isaiah. One of these days, I will finally learn to type Dvorak without making a million. I can't even spell Isaiah right now. A I A H. There we go. Jeez. <laughs> I'll laugh at it now and beat myself up later. There we go. Move that over here. Okay, so Isaiah 28. There's a lot here, and you threw me one little bit. What was it? Uh, foreign lips. Uh-oh. Not like that. Oh, hold on, everybody. I just broke the world. Let me fix it. Is it? It's like here, and then here. Good. Um, we're, okay. <laughs> I swear I'm not having a nervous breakdown. Not even a little bit. I'm just trying to do 30 things at once. We're going to search for... Can I remember what that word was? Oh, for pity's sakes. No, you don't. You threw me one little no. bit. What was it? No, no, no. Uh, foreign lips. On? I'm watching myself oh. live now. Uh, okay, so in theory, if I push command F, I should, there we go. I'm searching now. We're back. We're back in reality. And I have to figure out what word it is to search for, which was in the comment that What's all heavens to Betsy Murgatroyd? It's a catastrophe. Uh, we're looking for foreign lips. All right, we'll get there, friends. We'll get there. He paid good money for this time. <laughs> ah, L I P P 
P.S. There we go. Foreign lips. There it is. People of strange lips. Verse 11. I didn't even find it, but I see it. So, oh, this is really good stuff, too. So Isaiah 50, excuse me, Isaiah 28, 9 and following. To whom will he teach knowledge? This is God, right? Yeah, because everyone is drunk. They're not listening. The Lord's a crown of, uh, of glory, but they're reeling in the vision. They, they're vomiting everywhere. They don't know what's going on. Who could he teach knowledge of himself to, right? Who could God give theology to is the question. Who would listen? To whom would he explain it, right? Uh, those who are weaned from the breast? Like, could I have a baby? Because right now you're so far gone you won't listen, right? Maybe a baby. You've turned it into, this, oh, this is such a condemnation of us Lutherans, by the way. When we talk dogma, we do it like this. And it's not that the dogma's wrong. No, it's just how we treat the dogma. Uh, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little, right? This, this view of religion as things to do. What's right? What's right? What's right? Not, who's my king? Who's my king? Who's my king? Right? So, that's the bottom of his condemnation of them. And now he says, so with the ending of the covenant in the name of Ephraim, right? Joseph, Joseph, uh, Israel, Northern Israel, right? Uh, uh, oh, now I'm going to lose his name. Jeroboam, Jeroboam the first, Ephraimite, okay? So Ephraim, Israel, destroyed, sent into exile, gone. But there's going to be something in its place, Right? And that is a people of strange lips with a foreign tongue. Oh, come on now. Can I get it this way? There you go. The Lord will speak to this people. He'll give rest. The word of the Lord will be to them, precept by precept, line upon line, that it may go and fall backward, broken, snared, and taken. Now, this is interesting too. So he, in some ways, is building into, and I haven't studied this closely enough. It sounds like, from my first reading here, Oh, no, no, here we go, here we go, right. No, 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 I, I misunderstood. So, again, he's saying that by by the church, by Christianity, by the new covenant, and you got the Pentecost foreign language thing going in right there, right? The Lord will speak, that's the Holy Spirit's work again, right, by the way, uh, to this people, that's Christianity, both Old and New Testament Christianity, and he will always say to Old and New Testament Christianity, this is rest, give rest to the weary, and this is repose. Oh, wait, look, here, here's the thing. And yet they would not hear, and they leave their line upon line, precept upon precept, Pharisees. He's condemning the Pharisees directly, right? Again, we, we do this ourselves a little bit when we're not careful, and we forget this is the gospel. Give the gospel to people, right? This is rest. Jesus has risen from the dead. This is repose. And if you won't hear that, if you won't hear that, and you think it's still got to be about your morality. Oh, but what about the law? You deny the third use of the law. No, I don't. I just don't think it's the gospel. I don't think you don't need it. I, I don't think you need it to convert people to Christianity. I don't think you do. I don't think Peter got up and preached a whole bunch of stuff before he said Jesus has risen. He gave them some law afterwards when they asked what they should do. Uh, so, so you know, don't get me wrong. I'm, I, I law gospel, man. Glorious light. Confessions and all. But here we have this moment where the strange lips, right? The foreign tongues. And, and the thing about this too, this connects to that, that Judish argument about the end of prophecy. So this sign of foreign tongues, like we look back on Acts, that Acts story, the Pentecost story from a little while ago, and we're like, oh, look, the New Testament has speaking in tongues. That must be something the whole New Testament always is going to do. And it's not. The day of Pentecost starts the New Testament with baptism. The speaking in tongues is still part of the old covenant, and it is a sign of the Lord's rejection of his people. 
This is not the only place in the Bible where this is spoken of, to my knowledge. I'm going to write it down, though, because I want to put those, I want to put it with the other one that I'm aware of. It's in the Judish book. 28, 12, Isaiah, right? So tongues are a sign to the Jews that the Sinaitic covenant is over and that prophecy is leaving them forever, bound up in Jesus' body and blood. So in spirit and truth, they will worship according to his commands, his words, all those things. So that's the first part of our uh, question from Jedediah uh, Anakin Quingemarker. And he, he ties this now into, God says he will make the truth on foreign lips. To know the truth, Israel has to abandon their culture and language. Right, so again, this is more about how... Um, God is going to use language to show how they don't have what they think they have. More than about them having to leave their cultural language. I would imagine, well, this is interesting, actually. I wonder how long the early church held on to Hebrew. I don't know. Because I do know that from the very beginning, the early church is using Greek Old Testament. And this continues to be something in my conscience I wonder about. I've never studied it deeply enough to really have an opinion on the matter, but I have a hunch. Um, the Old Testament in Greek is a more recent or more reliable actual ancient document than the Old Testament in Hebrew is when you talk about documentary evidence. And then it's the one that's always being used by the New Testament. They don't quote the Hebrew. Then they don't quote translations of the Hebrew. They quote the exact LXX Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament. And so I, I do wonder about, like, so for the apostles as they're going out, like how hard really was it? I mean, they already were, were speaking in Greek. They already knew the Bible in Greek. They're quoting it in Greek all the time. So... Uh, they, they knew it that well. Uh, so I, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, certainly the idea of abandon and loss. And that's where if you want to talk to the, the future of the progressive West, are you saying English is going to go away? Because i got a bone to pick with you. I think English has taken over the planet. In, in like a thousand years, they're going to call the language of China Chinese, but it will be English that they speak. <laughs> I, I think English is the ultimate formula for a world conquering language. And we can go into that some other time. Um, so I, I think that English is always changing, and that's why it's such a powerful language. That it, it, Unlike many other languages, even the definitions of words can completely change, and we're okay with that. We have a way of tracking that, cataloging it, and, and making it part of the language. No other language has really been able to do that the way we do before. And in that way, though, the language of the progressive West, I mean, this is just it. What does it mean to have tolerance? Like right now, there are two definitions of the word tolerance that that we that, that do exist in use out there in the world, and the one that ninety percent of us think it means is not what it actually means in public discourse. So, in a thousand years, or five hundred years, or two hundred years, what's tolerance going to mean? It's going to mean what the public discourse says, not what we think it means. The folk language will go away, and the public discourse will take it. So, when you have the power to form minds with TV, this is my whole point, right? When you can change the language, when you can define the language for a little kid every single day, two hours a day, have a language defined for them, and you get to turn tolerance into don't hate people who disagree with you and change your beliefs to do what we say. Well, then, but then tolerance eventually means that. By the way. And this is all the way back to the 60s in Marcusa. I'm no Marcusa scholar. They exist. I found a book on Marcusa in the Fort Wayne Seminary Library. I was so excited about it, but I did not check it out. I was just there for a day. <laughs> um, Marcusa basically said, tolerance, let's redefine it. Tolerance means open, free course for all radical progressive ideas and the cleansing and purging of all historic conservative ideas. Marcusa. 
taught at American University. His definition of tolerance, and it is, in fact, the one that is used in the political elite these days. So, which one's going to really get there? How is language form? How is media doing this? That's one thing. But, 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 don't miss it. English is taking over the planet. Chinese is cool, but Chinese can't compete. Chinese don't have an alphabet the way ours does. We can morph, and it can't. So it's it's super cool, uh, and German's super cool. It's a great language of trade. I just I just don't see it. I mean, English already hopped two empires, right? From British to uh, to American. Unless you see the American as an extension of the British, but I, I don't. Um, uh, maybe I should. It's worth thinking about too, dude. We're talking nonsense. We're talking nonsense, Jedi Knight. Why are you spending ten bucks to make me not talk nice nonsense with a super chat? Uh, the language of science. Uh, the science of language. Is that what you're talking about? Uh, English fanboy here. Good, 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 good. Yeah. So, so it's the history and structure of English and or grammar and or etymological study. That's really what it all comes under the, the study of words uh, and the study of language, which is closely, clo uh, closely correlated to math. If you're a math person, math is just a language that's easier than the rest because it always makes sense and it doesn't really change. Uh, it just goes deeper, but it's a form of language. Music's a form of language. So when you, when you believe that about any form of communication, any medium, that it's a language and it's an art. So TV is a language and an art. Radio is a language and an art. We function differently. We think differently. We act differently. We talk differently when we're in those mediums, which is why if you just record your service, by the way, with one camera, it makes really bad TV. It's, just, it's, it's a different language, different medium. All languages, all mediums are also forms of art. So they are communications that when they are beautiful are better. Art is communication that's beautiful. Right. Although the new definition today means it's whatever the heck I decided to do. So you better like it. But it used to mean beautiful communication. Uh, and yeah, so I hope you're a fan of the language you speak natively in your own head all the time. I hope you don't hate it. That would be a bummer. <laughs> and if you hate it, well, you should maybe find another one. But I think I mean, English, it's talk about perspicuity. Um, you can miscommunicate in English. You can miscommunicate in anything. But you have a lot of ways to fix it in English with nuance. The fact that I can even say nuance is, is kind of sweet. Uh, what's a fancier word for nuance? Uh, flair? Huh? Flavor? Oh, you can do all of that stuff with English. You can't do that with other languages. Not like that. Not that fast. Not with everything. Right? How many, how many words for blue do we have in English? <laughs> so many. It's the best language. Anyway, um, I'm just a Anglophile, I guess. Um, you might like the Anglish product project. It's an attempt to recreate the English language from the before. The, oh, interesting. But I only, oh yeah, before the, before French influenced it. Yeah, um, de-Frenchified English. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot more like Norse because ultimately England was populated by Vikings. I mean, you got the Welsh too, but um, <laughs> it's what a merging place. And then that reminds me of something else. I really want to do this. I should, I'm going to write this one down too right now while we're talking here. I'm going to write down Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Wolfman and I talked about this some other place a while back. And, um, uh, I don't think we got deep enough on it though. So I'll start with a story. There, there was, uh, there was someone who my, my kids kind of adopted as like an auntie grandma person. Right. And, uh, after they visited her a few times, she mailed us something and we didn't really know it was coming. It just showed up. And it was this, this huge, huge, I mean, wall size, this thing had to be five feet wide poster of the history of the world in a circle all according to the biblical chronology and, um, oh, what's the right word? Uh, generational orders. There's a word for that. Uh, and I remember looking at it and thinking, the detail on this thing's incredible. 
And I remember how up until the 1880s or so, trying to figure this out was a really important task for the West and, and, and would have constantly been kind of rethought and relooked at with new evidence. But somewhere after the 1880s, it was just decided that it was all nonsense and none of it could be trusted, which I, I get they're moving in that direction, given the movement that they're part of the enlightenment, all that stuff, uh, secularism and its own, you know, cutting off the legs of its own stool, which we're watching happen around us. His existence doesn't even exist anymore. Right. Uh, but, but, I don't remember ever being told anything other than that all that was just based on bad scholarship, and now we know more. And what I really want to know is, okay, so we know more, but but have we like rethought it through in a way that doesn't mean the flood didn't happen? And and so assuming the flood actually did happen, that means there were three guys that got off that boat, and it does tell us they went in three different directions. And if you look at the population base of the planet, there's kind of, on the main hemisphere that we were all on initially, it would seem, not America, um, you have three styles of human. I don't know what to call it. You got those that if you go if you go northwest, right? So start in start in Judea, right? Or start in like Babel, and you go like like northwest, which I'm doing it the wrong way for you. It'd be like this, right? You're gonna go this way. What are you gonna hit? You're gonna hit Central Asia into Europe, Saint Petersburg, a white city in the middle of Central Asia, which is not white, okay? Because there's a merging there between whatever brother went up that way and ended up being a Viking, ultimately. And are the Native Americans Vikings, or are they, well, who went east and founded China? And who went south and founded Assyria? Is that part of China? I don't know. And then you got Egypt, right? So there's four there, big ancient civilizations. But if you look at so Egypt, you go further west and you end up in Africa, Sub-Sahara. Now you have a real familial line distinction. Someone got the blue hair, someone got the green hair, Right. If you go far east, far northwest, far southwest, all that being Africa, and then you can tie, and I don't know what the science is on this either. This is why I'm asking these questions. If you can tie the Native Americans to the far east uh, with that land bridge, well, kaboom, there you have Sham, Ham, and Japheth. And what I want to know is which one am I? <laughs> I don't know. I know that poster would tell me. I'd have to go try to find that poster again. I want to say it's Ham, but I don't know. It's definitely not the one, right? Whites were not the one through whom Judah comes. I'm pretty confident that that's whoever goes east. Am I right? And then Abraham gets pulled out of that, right? Right, right. That's what I don't know, right? And, and where do we have this kind of information? Why don't we care? Shouldn't we care if you're like a, a Hamite, a Shemite, or a Japhethite? I mean, isn't that kind of cool? Like, we're all brothers of Noah or sons of Noah, right? So it's, it's like we're all still got off the ark. Why don't we care about that kind of thing? It could be like, you they got the tetramorphs at, at higher things for the, uh, the houses in, in Hogwarts. Lutheran schools, you can have three houses, Hamites, Shephites, and, uh, and Japhethites. You need to do like quotas, I guess, right? Yeah. And I don't mean this to be like a racist thing at all. Um, it, it, the other way around, in fact, it shows how when they were all, I don't think that, I don't think Noah had a black baby, a Chinese baby, and a Viking baby. I, I really don't think that happened. Uh, I think you had three sons who all looked an awful lot like their mother and him, and that they uh, would not be unlike what we see in the middle of these three regions. So the closer you get to the middle of Africa, Europe, and Far East Asia, the more you get middle, eastern, it all is there. They all kind of look pretty similar, a lot of similarities stuff, right? It kind of merges into one. So that if you're a fan of hardcore history, is one of my favorite things I ever learned from hardcore history. Genghis Khan probably had red hair and green eyes, may have had red hair and green eyes. 
But it was, in fact, yeah, way off in the east. Why? Because of the merging of the central plains of Asia with all the horse tribes and the Scythians and all that stuff. That is so fascinating. I want more history on that. Anyhow, you get in the middle and you just get humanity, right? And then the further out we get, the more the more isolated we get, the more inbred we get, the more unique our features distinguish from each other, right? Uh, that happens in every family. So this isn't a racism unless you're a jerk. <laughs> uh, uh, this is humanity. And I think the history of believing that, oh, here we go. Shem went east, thank you. Um, Ham went south, and Japheth went north. Oh, I'm a Japhethite. Yeehaw, here we go. Vikings, ho. Um, Shem went east, so that's, and then, so that's that's both Assyria, right? I think Shem does do Assyria, um, and then eventually kind of Babylon, and then moving into the Indus River. Like, he would have been all of that. And this guy was the conqueror then, right? And then Ham went south. Maybe I'm wrong, though, because south and east are different in this, in this right? Yes, no, south is down toward Africa. It's Egypt, right? So Ham goes down to Egypt, and then all of Africa comes out of that eventually, uh, if, if we're really believing in a worldwide flood. Uh, and then Shem goes east, so he ends up being uh, at least Babylonia, Indus River, and then China. Dear heavens, does Shem get it on? <laughs> If that's the way it went. I'm curious how, again, the historians worked it out. And I'm curious what a, a modern Lutheran historian who really knows like the details of recent studies, someone like a Steinman, how he would peg the table of the nations and the divisions of the nations coming out of out of Noah, where, where he would draw those lines. I'd be really, really curious about that. Um, yeah, the Midwest, right. Well, it was all, all whites. If you're white in the definition the government uses, uh, then you would be a Jephethite. And if you were black or also other forms of, say, Middle Eastern, potentially Egyptian, or think like the, you know, black. Think about Ethiopia versus Sudan. They're, they're Africans. They're all Africans. They're native Africans. Uh, but Ethiopia is a little more like Egypt and the Egyptians, right? And the further you down you go, um, the, more, the more sun you get, uh, the more having dark skin benefits you in over thousands of years, right? Uh, you know, you have a, a family trait. Um, I think that's what evolution would have us believe. So if not, you know, what are we supposed to think? Uh, I just think it's like hair color, right? Uh, and um, so, so then all the Hamites, if you're, if you're African-American, if you are African, uh, if you have any, what do you call that bloodline without sounding racist, um, darker skinned, but not far Eastern, right? So what is, what is like the middle, right? Well, again, this is where it's all blending and merging. So if you're Middle Eastern, if you're, um, even if you're Italian or Spanish or uh, Native American, like if you're a Southern Native American, South, South Southern Hemisphere, right? In theory, you would have had the Shemites. Was that the one who went East? I'm losing it now. Uh, yeah, Shem East. You would have had the Shemites coming from China across and then populating with the original Native Americans, of which you have you know, a lot of history there and a lot of change and a lot of uniqueness and, and even um, genetic uh, distancing that goes on there from Inca to Aztec and Maya and all that stuff, right? But then when you have the conquistadors coming across, uh, the conquistadors being from Spain, as bad as the things they did might have been, guess, guess what Spain's made up of? It's both Ham and Japheth because you got the northern uh, kind of uh, native populations of the Spanish area and then you have the African um, Moors, uh, the Muslims that conquered up north, and there was a lot of interbreeding and intermarrying and all sorts of stuff. And you notice how Spanish people often will have a, a little, little darker skin color than, say, their French neighbors, right? Not a lot, um, but you, that happens, right? So then you have that coming across and joining with with the Shemites, and in in South America, then I guess you have a real a real Central Asian plateau on uh, 
on the west side of the planet. If all this is true, and I'm all just basing this on what the Bible said, three guys get off a boat, right? Um, and I'm trying to talk about it in a world in which racism is such a nasty thing, and yet everybody who talks about it is in fact racist. And so I don't even know what to do about that one. Oh, my goodness gracious. Um, interesting. Uh, Derek's talking about Chinese students who dyed their hair in more context, so they go to college. Singapore reminded me of people here in South Texas. That's interesting. That needs more, that needs more context to understand what's going on there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, okay, so uh, I had this other comment from a while back here. We got 30 minutes here left this morning. There is no spoon, don't forget. Uh, I'm trying to keep... Oh, I, I got more money, so I have to talk about something else. Cringe Walker, you took away my post-it note again. It's going to go right there so I don't lose it. Thank you for the super chat. Uh, Genesis 9.27 predicted history. The grandfather of Europeans is prophesied to steal the tents of his brothers and take the, take slaves. Of, oh, really? Oh, that's really cool. Was it Genesis 9.27? Um, I think that's worth looking at. Let's see here. Let's get there. Genesis. See, and why don't we have scholars that are Christians talking about this from a historic perspective? That's what I want to know. Where is the scholarship? Why not? Uh, we dropped so much. We don't even do scholarship anymore. We're so hard up for cash. We're barely keep keeping you know the things rolling. How do you expect people to do the scholarship and then publish it? It, it is we're really up against a wall. I do have to say, um, if we're talking uh, this kind of thinking about the Bible, um, there are scattered groups that are not Lutheran that are trying to, but they're exactly that. They're scattered. I did not mean to take that away. Uh, let's try if I can do this here. Do it this way. Oh, that didn't. That was bad. Look at look at that. You paid for that, Jedi. I don't even know what to do. Hold on. I got another menu I can use. This is great. This is good TV. There is no spoon. What happens if I do this? Hold on. For fun. Do I come back? Yes. <laughs> it's going to be messy when I go back to it again, but at least we can get to the Bible now. You said 927. Sorry, everybody. Back and forth. Oh, for pity's sake, I grabbed the wrong one. There it is. Oh. Can I... I'm sorry, everybody. If you're listening on the podcast, I am. This is a display of complete non-compliance with normal. <laughs> okay, all I'm looking for is Genesis 9:27, and we just found it. There we go. So 9:27 uh, is gonna say, "Oh, said the curse." This is so good, so weird. I think uh, who was it pointed out uh, that this curse is something that um, hasn't been talked about enough, like Greek mythology. Yeah, it was you again, Jedi. Um, uh, Where'd it go? Where'd it go? You had it. The genealogy of Greek gods is very closely aligned to the sons of Japheth. So what you're, you're contending here, how do I get that up here? I go back like this. Sorry, everybody. I want to get all this information on. What, what, what Jedi Knight Cringewalker is proposing here is fascinating. And may or may not be true, but he thinks it's true, and I, I'm going to assume it might be. Um, and I think it's a cool idea. And then we're going to go look at the Bible verse. So basically... Let's do it in this order. Your contention, Jedi Knight, and a Quinn Cringewalker. Can I just call you Cringewalker? Cringewalker, the super chatter. Um, Genesis 9.27, which is wrapped up in the cursing of Canaan by Noah, grandson of Noah, after his father, um, who I can never remember which one it is. Is it Japheth? I know you said it in here somewhere. Yeah, Japheth. Um, Japheth was the one that, oh, that's so disappointing. Uh, Japheth was the one who, who laughed at Noah, right? Uh, who laughed at him drunk. And so Canaan gets cursed, his, his, uh, his son, Noah's grandson. 
And in that curse, Genesis 9, 27, uh, Cringewalker is claiming, and I think this is clever, uh, that this predicts the outflow of the three sons in history as peoples. So the grandfather of the Europeans, that's Japheth, is prophesied to steal the tents of his brothers. Uh, that would be, um, yeah, and, and take slaves of, of his children, both brothers, I'm guessing, right? We'll go look at it again. So the idea is that the, uh, the British Empire and the slave trade is prophesied in 927 of Genesis, which I like it. I don't know. I think those are tough claims to prove. Um, but this is really fascinating. So then the genealogy of the Greek gods is very closely aligned to the sons of Japheth. So if it, it, what you're saying then is that the initial history of that family as they moved north then became the tales that were told and eventually codified in their worshiping of their deities uh, as uh, what all forms of paganism, which eventually kind of run into each other. So they are, you are borrowing, that's interesting, you are borrowing from both uh, further Eastern mythologies and Southern mythologies in the Greek mythological stories. Um, but the idea that it's tied to Japheth's life, that's, that's really cool. Um, Saturn devouring one of his three sons is equivalent to Noah. So Saturn would be kind of like the Noah figure. Uh, and Saturn is, is he Kronos? Is that right? No. Is it Poseidon? I don't remember. Um, so I'd love to see more of that. Uh, where'd you learn that? Uh, who taught you this? And wait, 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 it's coming back. There it is. How cool is this? I can't even get that out of here. Can I, what is that? Right? There it went. <laughs> Bonus. It continues on. Krinswicker says the prophecy Japheth will take the tents is a curse too, though racists will use it to justify racism. Yeah, they probably would, wouldn't they? Um, Amson, thank you. I knew I messed that up. I am Athanasius. Hamson, good. So, so duh, because that's what was down down south, right? Um, well, but then, but how does the Japheth thing connect? So if Ham is going to steal, it's the south that will steal from the tents. So I, I'm looking for your case again. Um, the son of Ham is cursed, not Ham, right? So it's Canaan who really gets the curse. That's fascinating. Where's the book on this? That's what I want to know. And I'm not going to write it. Who's going to write it? I'm going to change the topic to this topic. Here it is. Can you read it? Jesus has terrible branding and it's all Christianity's fault. It autofocused. That's supposed to be turned off. What happens if I do this without autofocus? There you go. Now it just looks fuzzy. <coughs> Sorry. Jesus has terrible branding. I've been thinking about this a lot. When you think of Jesus, what do you think of? What image comes to your mind first? And I can guarantee you... No, I can't. Oh, come on, tissue box. There we go. I can guarantee you, with 99.9% .9 accuracy, that most of that image is wrong. The, the referent, J-E-S-U-S, Jesus, English, bad pronunciation of Greek, Jesus, the referent point as an English word has been so branded with a semantic field that no matter how I hear that name, I bring heresy with it. Not that I believe any of it. I don't believe any of it. But the name, the feeling it evokes in me is not righteous Lord of justification. Everlasting, almighty, fire-eyed man in white with gold sash, beaming light from the top of Zion. That's not what Jesus means. Jesus means some weirdo in a robe doing stuff with people that maybe isn't a story. But he's got long hair. He's kind of pretty. He's, he's a clean guy. He had braces. You know, good, good, good grooming, good upbringing. No dirty in Jesus. I think that's really messed up. Um, I don't know how to fix it. But Jesus 
has terrible branding. You can't see it because of the light now. Sorry, I'm trying to do something like stupid and annoying and funny. Jesus has terrible branding, uh, and, and we can't fix it. Christianity has terrible branding. We can't fix it. What do you do in a market driven by identity? Branding is just identity. It is it is what people believe the truth is about you. It may not be the truth. You would like your branding to actually be true. You want your branding to be true. Good branding means everybody knows who you actually are. So branding is just a way of talking about names, identity, and truth-telling within the context of organizations, although it's certainly found its way into the context of human lives too because frankly uh, you know what madonna she's a brand red fisk I, that's what i'm doing this whole this is all branding right you're, just, you're you're associating my name or my likeness or my voice with a certain set of things including emotions and that's good you everybody does that you do that with your family you know it just, it just extends to that that wider marketplace of ideas and and civilizational overlap and all this kind of stuff and in that world, the branding of Christianity has been just so absolutely scarred. We would, we would have better branding if we just walked around with some bloody, gory, dead body strapped to a piece of wood and held it in the sky. That would give us better branding. Oh, wait. Yeah, you see what I did there? That would give us better branding than what we've done. People be like, what's that? They just don't want to talk about it. That's weird. Why is that guy dying? That looks painful, right? And instead we got like, you know little sheep in green hills. And I, I I like comfort too. I really do. But I'm starting to believe that one of the chief lies that Christians, and this should be in broken, right? One of the lies that we believe that we shouldn't believe. One of the chief lies that the devil tells us, oh, I lost it now. That's a bummer. The truth is not sufficient. The truth is not sufficient. So mysticism, moralism, rationalism, these are all ways of removing the truth, coming up with a new truth. But the idea that the, the truth itself is insufficient that the truth itself will not last, that the truth needs something to prop it up. And you take this take this out of like the philosophical realm with the word truth, and, and let's just talk about reality or the universe, existence, what actually is. You don't believe there is a universe, is there a multiverse? Okay, what do we call the multiverse? The universe? So there's, there's multiple verses, multiple truths, versa, veracity, it's the word truth, right? Uh, multiverse, multiple truths in this big thing filled with all these multiple truths, what that big thing would be called the universal truth that would be the universe so so the universe substantially is real and cannot be denied and while it can be destroyed only one has the power to destroy it and he said he will and he said when he will kind of but he's not gonna do it till then and and, and so most of our, our 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 engagement with this fading dying world is like in the belief it could go away any moment and and if jesus comes back it will but really what you're afraid of it being taken away from you and your power and your control over it and the lie then that it is is insubstantial, that it needs you, that you can that you can manage it, that you can hold it up. That when you figure out there is no spoon, it means you're God. That lie uh, is underneath everything, everything, everywhere. Hmm. There is no spoon. Back to the start, right? Back to the start. Keanu Reeves has good branding, even though he's not a good actor. The Matrix apparently has bad branding, even though it's a fantastic movie. 
There is no spoon. Where do you live? What is reality constructed out of? Are you a human battery pack plugged into a computer to make it run in some dystopic future? Living all of this, all that you see is just a mirage of virtual reality. Half-Life Alex. Or is it the exact same thing, only not built by computers? Or in some hardware somewhere, but that the essential physical reality of the universe down at the quantum level is the existence of the word, words of God spoken into being that never cease, which through the, again, the miracle of particle physics gives rise to substance and reality. It's, it's amazing when you look at the physics stuff, um, and I don't pretend to understand all of it, and string theory takes them off on the wrong direction entirely. Um, but the idea, uh, the electron shell, that there is no, you know, if you look at the atom, there's nothing there. There's tendencies to exist. What causes it to exist and why does it change? Change its, its, uh, um, uh, its traits when you look at it or when you study it. Well, maybe because it's the word of God creating, sustaining, maintaining, and you can't pin it down. You can't find God. So you keep going on looking. It keeps changing because his substance of word that he made is just greater than the rest of it. And in that sense, then, again, the greatest lie the devil tells us is that the substance can't stand on its own. It can stand on its own. It's going to. And then you, as that substance, do stand on your own, broken as you are. And that you, as that substance tied to Jesus, who also is that substance for you, dead and raised, now are promised that you get a second life. I mean, I tried watching Scott Pilgrim versus the World the other week with my kids. Bad idea. Don't do it. <clears throat> that movie has so many things that should be so cool and it's just sadly, um, sex culture is worse than I thought it was. And I didn't even notice it when I watched it the first time. Uh, but it has so many clever things. And, you know, it, what it does is it, it video gamifies this, this kid's life, right? He's just living imagination world with, with video game uh, paraphernalia kind of existing. And there's a moment when he's in a, in a fight with a bad guy. And all the fights, you know, he's like this nerdy kid who then suddenly is wielding some sort of, you know, video game power that he pulled out of, you know, the air or whatever. So it's, it's all goofy and karate and whatever. Um, in the middle of these fights, though, like something happens, there's a big explosion, and you hear this coin sound, ding And like right beside his head is like this little spinning, uh, oh, uh, spinning 8-bit picture of his own face, like a cartoon image of his own face, and it's spinning in a circle, kind of floating in the air, and he looks at it, and he grabs it, and it just goes, one-up, which, if you know your old gaming, Super Mario back in the day, one-up, means I got an extra life. And later in the movie, which you're not going to watch because you shouldn't, but it should be redone in a clean way somehow. You couldn't do it by cutting. Ah, it needs its own thing. Anyway, at the end of the movie fighting for his life and his love and all this kind of stuff. And he dies. And what does he get? He gets his second life. Kaboom, he's back. He knows what he did wrong. He fixes it. Okay, so you get a second life called the resurrection of the dead in Jesus Christ. That substantial reality cannot be moved either. Not any more than the physical reality of the universe. The first article stands. The second article stands. The third article stands. And even though in the first article, what has been built of these words will pass away into fire. Oh, well, there's more words that are never going to pass away beginning with the body of Jesus Christ, who has gone to prepare a place for, if I say you, will you hear it in the plural? For us? Yeah. I really did forget what the main lie was, but I think I came up with a good one by the time I was, by the time I was there. There is no spoon. I've been on an hour and 45 minutes. 
and uh, we're, we're getting getting near to the end here. Um, mm, 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 mm. I'm looking over. Cringe Rocker, I'm giving you a lot of time today, but you're giving good comments. If space-time is one of is one thing so that no space equals no time, how can the Big Bang happen? Mm, I like this. The singularity has no space, and so no time to change. Yeah, well, okay, my favorite one on this, and i got to do something like this in Second Wisdom. In fact, it's going to be early in the book, I think. In the beginning, there was nothing. And then the nothing accidentally exploded and became something. And then over billions of years, the something accidentally, with no real recourse to reason, logic, theme, purpose, symbol, truth, any of those things, it became you. Something better than a monkey, but not much. You're going to die soon. Happy Hanukkah, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's not Jewish. It is... It's what a fool would come up with. Nothing accidentally blew up and became something that accidentally, accidentally became you. Yeah, um, it's, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Their mythology, just call it that too. Why don't we just call it that? It's a mythology. They call ours a mythology. Why don't we call theirs a mythology? We're still trying to fight over like whether we can teach monkeys in school, right? It's so far gone, my friends. It really is. The culture is so far gone. I can't, I can't even express it. You're not watching. Watch, watch, watch. If we're arguing about how to get truth back in the public eye on some sort of governmental level, we've already lost. Unless you're in a small town that has set up the ability to really control its own laws over and against the state, which would be really cool, actually. I love small government. But, um, you know, you're, you're just not going to do it. They have cheated. You don't like it because you don't like that it's true. You like what Americana represented, but they cheated. They went in and they used the systems that exist to put into place reasons why you could never remove their ideology from it without tearing down the entire system. There's groups of people and movements in history that are connected to this, wittingly or not, often minorities, often the oppressed. But the point is, I mean, you're not going to change what the school board decided in the 50s for your local public school in this century. I, I'm sorry. I mean, maybe you will. Maybe, I, mean, I shouldn't talk you off it, right? Go, go, crusade. But let me suggest that instead of riding like a man with a spear against a windmill, instead of trying to, to fix it all by throwing yourself into the midst of it as some sort of sacrificial offering, why don't you ask if there's not a better way? And I'm not, again, I'm not just trashing public school in general here. I'm talking about the whole thing, about family life, village life, neighborhood life. I don't, I think in the history when, when say Plymouth was founded or uh, the areas of uh, South of St. Louis, when, when the Saxons arrived and like everyone in the community is a Lutheran, there's some real unhealthy things that can go on in that situation. But I don't think it's more healthy to have nobody in the church live near each other. Right. Um, or spend time together, or support each other uh, to engage the world. I don't know. I don't know what it means. What it means is, I, I just think we got to stop trusting what's out there in some sort of blanket. They have the best interest in mind way, and we got to start trusting what's in the scriptures 
And then we got to start talking about it. And as we talk about it, we'll learn to trust each other. And we'll learn to see the world out there for the, the great lie that it is, that it's all insubstantial, that no one's in control. And we'll see instead as the reigning realm the King of the universe, the Lord of Lords, Jesus, Lord, King Jesus. It's the branding so bad. How do you get it back? How do you get the name Jesus to carry the weight of the phrase Son of David? How do you get the word Christ to carry the thematic feel of the word Messiah? Or King? How does the people who don't have kings worship a man who is a king? Where will lex credende, lex arande? Where will as you believe, so you will practice? As you practice, so you will believe. When you don't believe in kings, and you're adamantly opposed to kings, and any type of authority held by any man, including a man over a woman, is still part of the reality for the LCMS, is why we have women voting, if you really believe authority, which is the fourth commandment, is bad, what does that do over the course of a century to your belief in the authority of the King Jesus who you claim to worship as a people? I'm not saying any individual. I'm saying as a people. What does that do to our view of him? We do not view him as our king. I'm sorry, we don't. As a group, as a group, we don't. We don't. Um, we view him as our hobby savior, right? Hobby savior. He is risen, just as he said, and he's king. It's all good news, and it's all free, and it's all grace on the inside of this thing. And it's all true, and it's all free, and it's all right there in the Bible for you to believe. There's a dragon fighting angels out there. For reals. Like, yeah. And there's a sword that you can pick up, and you can use it. And you can fight that battle. It's pretty sweet. There's armor you can put on. Yeah? Uh, there, there's, there's training of the mind, and the tongue and the mouth to be of value in that warfare, which ultimately is for the good of everybody. You're only fighting against goblins and demons and stuff, ultimately. You're only fighting against the orcs. That's Christianity. It's great. Zombies. It's great. Great, great, great. All right. The mages have led us to chaos, and we follow willingly. Yes. I don't know quite what the reference point is, but that's awesome. <laughs> that's, that's a great first line to it. A book right there. First page, first line. The mages have led us to chaos and we have followed willingly. You got a whole book right there. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, the mages. Magi, the wise men. I think it's high time that Christians become the magi again, right? It's high time that Christians become the wizards. I've been, I, this is the branding thing for me. And my role-playing game head, right? What's a wizard? If you go D&D on this or you go uh, storyline on this, there's a big difference generally between a wizard and, say, a sorcerer or even like a magician. A magician might be eventually become a wizard someday, something like that. But, you know, magicians are like magicians we think of now. It's kind of like tricks and parlor stuff, right? Uh, and then a sorcerer would be someone who's more like a, they're natively magical, right? Harry Potter kind of more fits the sorcerer than the wizard model, where it's just you either are or you aren't. What the wizard does, kind of historically, is the guy just keeps studying stuff. And so as a result of reading and reading and reading and reading and reading and reading and learning and learning and listening and listening and all that kind of stuff, he gets wise. So the word wizard doesn't mean guy who casts magic. The word wizard, etymologically, like the, and this is a smaller definition now, like the bigger definition is magic. But the, you know, back in that definition, a wizened one, a wizard, 
right? As opposed to a drunkard, he's a wiseard. Uh, he's just a man who has grown excessively wise. And should not all Christian men be wizards then? Who study the holy book with such confidence that we can eventually just kind of not be afraid but speak the words and know they have power? You know? Am I nuts? I feel I feel like it's crazy, but it's like more real than uh, Fox News and NBC to me now at this point. It really is. I, it's more comforting for sure. Golly. So, like Arrestate Gar Tamais, and I added some more of that one this week. Do you want to hear his Uk Este Auton? Uk Este Auton. That's the last part of the verse before my confirmation verse. You were bought with a price confirmation verse. The last half of the verse prior to it is also part of my confirmation verse given to me when I was a kid, and it is, You are not your own. So Agarastatagar Tamais, you were bought with a price. That is, at the market, at the slave market, for a high fee and a privilege you were paid for, you are not your own anymore. You are owned. You're a slave. That's what it says. You're a slave. Uk este yauton. I love the Greek, though. Because the Greek isn't you are not your own. It's not you are of yourself. Not you are of your own. Agarestata gar tenes, you are about with a prize. Um, to, to be the one who has those words known deep in my heart in such a way that at any time, in any place, for my own conscience or for that of others, I am ready to speak those words like a level 10 spell that always works. Yeah. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Jesus has risen just as he said, right? I mean, this is, this is our hope, friends, heading into that chaos out there. You want to combat cold, calculating, scientific, modern, whatever, mythology? <laughs> it's all mythology for them, too. Why not do it with a little, little Christian wizardry? Redefined, yeah? LARP wizardry. That's what I'm calling it in my head, by the way. Live action role play Christian wizardry. Uh, wizards are also leaders in their field, according to Princess Bride novel. Well, it's true enough. They just study a lot, right? So what was Daniel? This all comes in my head, in my thinking. This is all going back to like last spring when I started the Daniel stuff, the original wizard. What was that guy? He lived in the schools of the Magi, learned all their stuff, knew it better than them, could do it better than them, never once betrayed his God, never once believed the stars were telling the future or he could read the entrails of animals. He knew the science, he knew the spirituality, and he had words he was unafraid to speak. Now, we have recounted for us visions that he recorded. He may have had others that he did not record, but I guarantee you he had other things he said in his lifetime, and they were faithful and true and just as powerful as the visions he received because they were based upon the Word of God then, too. The promises that he held to is how he made his initial decisions not to eat the meat offered to idols coming from the idol of the, uh, the table of the king of Babylon. Right? He's, he's trusting in the promises. The Lord will keep me safe. So also with you, he's the original wizard. He's the model. He's the model for living in Babylon. We live in Babylon now. Wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. Saturday morning chill. We got, what, two minutes left. I think this is going to be uh, the end of the entire thing here for us. Let me go back and just remember to announce a couple more things. Streaming daily, Mad Corona daily is still going on. I'm going to do that all the way at least until next Saturday morning. Uh, Sunday is the day that in theory we're allowed to be free again in the great communist state of Mother Illinois. Um, uh, comrade, be with you. Uh, 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 in any case, um, 
Uh, I, daily is still going on, but we'll definitely be back here with the regular and that's going on the podcast. If you are listening to the podcast channel and you got this far and you're like, why aren't the dailies being turned into podcasts? It's just called man hours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, and, and the dailies, I mean, I'm barely scraping these things together, uh, in my own kind of fall before a camera and hope I can talk away. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty challenging. I mean, if I were really to do this long term, it would have to be a morning thing. It would have to be at the same time. I'm not sure I want to do that again. I just got out of that one. If you remember. So, so with that said, uh, the dailies have more or less been a, hey, look, we're in this Corona crazy sense place. What can I do for the church at large? How can I help the church at large? I'll do more of what I'm already doing and be there more often so that people can find that uh, in the midst of all the other things they're trying to understand. So that's what those daily videos have been. Um, yeah, am I trying to capitalize on a little bit? A little bit, sure. Why wouldn't I? Why, why wouldn't you? You make the best of every moment, right? But make the best use of the time uh, for good or for ill and, and thank the Lord in, in all circumstances. So so with that said, um, uh, Mad Dailies are still going out. They'll be one tomorrow. Tomorrow I'm going to be, I, I hope, very pastoral and get into the sermon that was kind of prepared. Not really, because I didn't have to, but I'm ready to give you uh, on uh, uh, that I would have given tomorrow. So we'll probably do that tomorrow afternoon. Uh, uh, Without Flesh is out. Of course, you can always buy Broken. You can buy Echo. You can buy my uh, End of the World series with Pastor Wolfmiller, Thief in the Night on Amazon.com, ebook, or as a paperback. Um, it's been selling pretty well recently as well, uh, kind of slowly trickling up, which is kind of nice. We're hoping uh, and are slowly working on a reboot of that. I know there's some typos in that initial version, so we're going to get that fixed up and re-released and then go and do more of those. Um, again, uh, if you're listening on the podcast, the Patreon shakes his doozies, uh, SMC, the chill this is your weekly podcast that you'll be charged for but i know you saw it there was a great two hour not two hour great one hour interview with brian wolfmuller as well this week in the bonus content so from now on smc is just the the charging or the recurring or the subscription fee content and uh uh, all the bonus content will be everything else, including I got a big folder and a big piece of paper over there that says Daniel 6 on it. And someday, once I get my writing started again, the next thing that'll be worked into the system uh, is going to be a little Daniel 6 action as a separate bonus podcast. Uh, newsletter, Mad Mondays, you got to check it out. CTCR document will be there. You can find that quicker if you want to Google it. Uh, and the dot com, everything else is there. Um, mm -mm, mm. Oh, did I mess up? Am I counting my days wrong? Hold on. I need to check this out. Why am I thinking that we're off for Palm Sunday? It's to the 7th, so we're going to lose Palm Sunday, but then get Easter back, which is all the more reason to meet an Easter no matter what. Um, yeah, you're right. You're right. It's the Tuesday in Holy Week, so we lose Palm Sunday. Kronos beckons. Waylon the Smith. He tells us what to do. How long do we listen? You're right, man. Thank you, Natalie. Uh, lady. Natalie, thank you for that. You're right. It is through the 7th, which is the Tuesday in Holy Week. Okay, so no Palm Sunday. I'm just going to go ahead and say it right here. So if, if everything gets shut down for Easter, and if my congregation wants to shut down for Easter, that's fine. They'll shut down. But I'll be in the parking lot at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Rockford, Illinois, on Easter morning. <clears throat> yeah, about 8 o'clock, I think. Um, I'll be there all morning. And if I'm by myself, that's fine. And if you happen to show up, I I, don't, I can't stop you from doing that. It's, it's, you know, it's just outside. So um, I'll say that. So if everywhere else, nowhere else, I mean, flash mob it, right? Why not? Uh, flash mob it all over the world? Or just come to Rockford? Yikes. How long will we listen? 
That's the question. We should listen right now. I'm not saying we should not be pulling back and doing as the government asks. Somebody else, was it Wolf Mueller? Who was I talking to? He was sharing about how <clears throat> he found in, in uh, U.S. history uh, in Texas, I think it was, during the Spanish-American War, Spanish flu, Spanish flu, uh, areas in Texas shut down church at request of the government for a whole month, 30 days. And it let that Spanish fever, that's what it was, the Spanish fever, uh, not kill as many people as it did, and then they rebooted and they went. Right? That was a nation, not a planet. It wasn't a nation. That was a state, not a nation. That was not a nation. That was not a planet. It was a state. And even an area of the state. Excuse me, I'm sorry about that. Uh, so, so I don't know. I don't know about that. Uh, it's happened in the past. And for that reason, I rejoice. But keep a careful eye on rendering under Caesar what is Caesar's and rendering under God what is God's. Keep a careful eye on that because Caesar has never given power back. It's not what he does. So, cheers. Hey, we're all just chilling. Have a good Saturday. Uh, do what you got to do. Taxes. Next Tuesday. Oh, goodness. I don't want to think about that. I'm going to do some marriage counseling in about an hour, which sounds fun. Premarital. Hopefully, they'll still get married. Hopefully, we can get three people in a room together to get married this spring. <laughs> so, go do that. You guys enjoy your Saturday. I'll be back tomorrow afternoon, hopefully, with a sermon for you. And then, of course, Monday, Tuesday, and so on. Oh, I hate leaving you guys. It's so hard. Don't wall in the muck. Enjoy your day. Rock on.